1994 Unsolved UFO Mysteries of Western Michigan with special guest Jack Bashong Jr. Episode 41 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin, I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. All right, all right, all right, everybody. How's everything going? Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 41 on October 29th, 2022. And oh my God, do we have an episode for you. Feeling a little starstruck right now. Just a little bit, just a little bit, because tonight we have on the podcast, Jack Bashong Jr. He was the National Weather Service radar operator during the March 8th, 1994 Western Michigan UFO incident. This is also our guy who was featured on Unsolved Mysteries Season 3, Episode 2 of the episode Something in the Sky on Netflix. This was such a great conversation. We were talking for about 45 minutes before we even started recording, just finding so many similarities between Jack and Wayne. Um, I mean, if this was a video podcast, everybody would be cracking up from the facial expressions I had going the whole time. Well, you know, we have mutual interest in a lot of things and it comes from our science backgrounds, you know, me being a earth and space science teacher, you know, and one of the aspects of that is understanding weather and weather radar, reading weather maps, all that good stuff. Both so, of you guys play flight sim. Yeah, that's a big that deal. Was the, that <laughs> was the topper. So when they could sit there and start talking about planes and flight paths on flight sim. Yep. Yeah, we crazy. both have a, a love for aviation, for sure. I mean, I grew up around aircraft. That's why our sighting bothered me so much because of the thing we saw. There was no way in the hell that thing should have been floating in the sky like that. But uh, everybody. I'll tell you, if Jack's wife is listening, I swear you got a brother-in-law up here in the metro Detroit area. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's not pick on your husband day. But... Everybody, you need to get onto Netflix and watch that episode. It's called Something in the Sky, as Michelle said. It's season three, episode two on Netflix, Unsolved Mysteries. So fantastic stuff. And uh, we cannot thank Jack enough for spending the time with us that he did and letting us be one of the first podcasts to have him come on and talk to us and get into how everything worked with the radar, what they said to him, and how they kind of had moved him and gave him the hint to get out of Michigan so he could pursue his career further. 
and uh, just an amazing background, uh, amazing education and experience. So you're going to hear all of that kind of stuff in this interview. It's the behind the scenes look. Yeah. And definitely this will probably be one of our longest podcast to date. We talk about all kinds of stuff involving the incident on March 8th. A little bit of speculation is also involved in that, but plan on sitting down, having a few cups of coffee, <laughs> driving in your car, working Cut, a full shift, <laughs> yep, raking, raking the leaves, you know, whatever you got to do, because it's a long podcast, but a awesome podcast full of information and if this doesn't convince you that there is some kind of crafts flying around out there i don't know what else will because here we're going to talk about the 300 eyewitnesses we're going to talk about the police that were chasing these things through the nine and communicating through the 911 dispatcher to jack at the National Weather Service in Muskegon, Muskegon, operating that radar and his sightings on the radar correlating with the eyewitness reports. So something was definitely going on here in Michigan. Well, even in March 8th, it, you know, 94 and what, 40 to 42 counties were reporting sightings that night. I even talked to my dad earlier tonight, and he was a huge fan of Larry King Live back in the day. Yep. And I asked him, I said, Dad, I said, do you remember anything going on back in March of 94 with a bunch of sightings over the state of Michigan? And even though we always lived on the east side of the state, he remembered seeing everything um, on the news then and even remembered he was like well wasn't it on larry king live i'm like he yep. remembers yep it certainly was they even talked about it on that and another thing i want to point out when we read jack's bio here um in a, in a few minutes he was also featured on the history channel show years ago i want to say it was around 2008 he was on ufo hunters and it was season two, episode two, and that episode was called UFO Emergency, where they take the police tapes, the testimony, the radar information, and they put it all together and they spell out what was going on. And it's just amazing. And here in Michigan, we have like the most sightings you know, what are we always in the top 10 at least every they said, year? Yeah, Michigan is typically the top 10. So, you know, we can draw on the speculations because we're a state surrounded by fresh water and it's the largest bodies of fresh water on the planet. So absolutely. And there's something to do with March, because as we go back in time for our news article tonight, you're going to find out what was going on later on in March. On the other side of the state, on the east side, like in Flint. That's why I tell Wayne I'm always confusing the dates in March, our experience. Course. Now, this experience, and I was 19 going on 20, yep. and not paying attention to the news at the time. Nope. There was other things going on. And this was also the year that Mount Pinatubo erupted and changed the whole climate of the planet, making it colder by about two degrees. So... A lot of stuff was going on at the time. So 
We've got a lot to cover. We want to get everybody onto this interview as fast as we can. So let's go ahead and talk about where you can find our shows in other locations. You can find us on YouTube. Search us out by typing in Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. It's all one word, or you can also find the link in the show notes. Yep. And if you have a story you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. And we do have a story for Communication Corner today. It's a short one, but oh, it's a good one. So, and our store is back online because, you know, technology can be a blessing or a curse sometimes. If you like the podcast and would like to rock some of the latest swag, head on over to our online store and you can find that link also in the show notes. And then don't forget to check out our Patreon page if you would like to support the podcast there. It is patreon.com forward slash M-I-U-F-O. S-P-E-P, where you can sign up. We can't wait to give you a shout out for all of your support. And speaking of shout outs, once again, we got our Patreon, Ed S, who is supporting us incredibly. What an awesome contributor to the podcast. Ed is a good dude. And very good guy. And also we have Hava H. So once again, thank you for your support. And it's because of support from people like you that help us keep the podcast going. So once again, thank you very much. And this podcast is supported by contributions and goodwill (laughs) to the podcast to help keep us going. So thank you all very, very much. You can find all of these links that we've mentioned and more in the show notes. Just use the link tree to take you to any of the links. And lastly, before we jump into our communication corner and letter for the episode, One thing I do want to let everybody know is that we are starting now a Michigan UFO sightings and paranormal encounters podcast live show that will be streamed on the weeks in between any episode releases. So next Saturday at 8 p.m. We will be going live to discuss this episode that we're releasing tonight and have a round table so you can find us on YouTube. And check it out and come in and join in and we'll have an interactive conversation. So we're getting into the YouTube live. It's like the before and after parties on StreamYard. Exactly. So be looking for notifications on that happening and get to our YouTube page and uh, sign up, subscribe, and make sure you put on that notification bell so that when we release something new, you will get that notification. You can come join us. But now we're going to switch gears a little bit, and I'm going to hand this over to Michelle for our communication corner with a letter we received from one of our listeners. Michelle, take it away. So this is coming from Janine, and you know she was so thankful to our Facebook group as far as giving her a space to be able to you know share her record of what she witnessed mid-October of 2021. So from her viewpoint. So I live on the west side of Detroit, to be precise. If anyone knows the area, I was headed west down a side street called Keeler. It was shortly after 9 p.m. and slightly raining. I kept hearing a loud noise, which sounded like an airplane. 
It was so loud that it was for sure about to crash. I stopped in the middle of the street like a dummy, knowing as big as a plane is, I was pretty sure the tail wings landing gear nose, something was going to smash into me. Still, I sat and looked out the windshield. Nothing. Looked out the passenger window. Nothing. Soon as I turned to look out my driver's window, there it was. It was so black, but I quickly traced it with my eyes diamond shaped with three white lights shining from the bottom. I thought it was about to crash because it was right above the treetop, damn near on somebody's house. Then before I could get out the words out, what the, it made the, a huge boom sound and disappeared in a blink. I've heard stories where people say they're usually quiet and things go haywire or stop working in their car, but none of that happened. That joker was super loud and low, which made me think a plane was crashing and my radio and lights were still on. I drove the next five blocks home in silent tears and have been sky watching ever since. Did, did they see me? Yeah. Um, I wonder if by diamond, she might mean a triangle. Like she didn't does that see not, the, yeah. the back end. Does that not sound familiar? That's that's crazy. I mean, there have been reports of the diamond-shaped crafts, but they have been kind of violent toward people if they are seen. So, uh, man, crazy, crazy account, but awesome. Well, the fact that she heard the loud noise, like the propulsion from it, like an airplane, but yet it's not an airplane because it's just kind of stationary and hovering there. And the fact that it was making noise. That's the first time I've heard about one of these things making a, a lot of noise. So that's an interesting, uh, different piece of evidence when it comes to these craft, whatever they are. And I'm sorry, we, we don't have anything that can just disappear in a blink of an eye like that. But just so everybody knows, this was sent to us. Um, it was October 23rd, 2022 when she wrote us and, uh, amazing eyewitness account. So Janine, thank you very much for sending that in. We're glad that our Facebook group is providing you a little bit of a space to relay your information. And, uh, and who knows, maybe someone else from the West side of Detroit is listening and knows the area and was out that night too. Yeah. If there's any other witnesses to corroborate her story, please email us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com or sign up for our Facebook group and send us a message. Well, Michelle, after hearing that account, I'm hungry. I want some chicken wings. Some chicken wings with ranch. Oh, yes. Is there is ranch. Maybe, maybe some chili fries with some cheese sauce on there. This guy is trying to give me heartburn. <laughs> you know, it sounds like we need to go to our favorite place. New Boston Coney and Grill. That's right. New Boston Coney and Grill. Let's go. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. 
Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! And we're back. Hey, Michelle. I think it's that time. It's time for What's in the News. Let's go back in time and say yes. What is in the news? Flint Youth 14 reports sighting of UFO. This was printed March 15th of 1994. Similar reports bring researchers to state to determine if we really are not alone. Dennis Roberts, 14, was sitting in his yard one evening last week when suddenly he saw a giant triangular shaped object hovering above him. The piercing white and red lights on the front of the mysterious craft beamed through the dark sky. Frightened, he ran into his East Flint home and continued to watch the craft from his bathroom window. It just hovered there. It was so low, only about a half a mile above the house, then it just zoomed off. But it didn't sound like a jet, he said. It made a humming sound, and it was big, as big as my whole street. Roberts spotted the UFO about 8.30 p.m. on March 10th, two days after people reported seeing a round-shaped aircraft with similar lights hovering above Muskegon. Residents, police officers, and even Muskegon's National Weather Service officials who saw blips on their radar screens, and we know who that is, confirmed the object's location. It was the weirdest thing I saw in my life, said Holly Graves of Holland, who ran to the window with her husband, Daryl, after their 14-year-old son screamed. So, and Holly is also in that episode of Unsolved Mysteries as well. Absolutely. Yep. Hovering just above tree level across the road was a huge rotating globe-shaped object with white and red lights. What we saw was not a whole craft, but the bottom of it turning in a clockwise motion, Holly Graves said. People might think we're nuts, but we're not. The Graves family called police and a responding officer saw the lights in the distance and contacted the National Weather Service office. It in turn notified the Mutual UFO Network after picking up signals on radar. UFO researchers are descending on southwestern Michigan this week as reports continue to filter in from dozens of people who say they saw something unusual in the night sky March 8th from Grand Rapids to the Lake Michigan shoreline between Muskegon and South Haven. And just one more time, everybody, this is an article that was printed on March 15th, 1994. Yeah, so you figure a week after... Um, let's see the the newspaper was it in Muskegon had gotten the 911 tapes um, on March 9th and decided then that it was going to go to print. So yeah, it, I mean, again, uh, they released that it was, you know, for either 40 or 42 counties reporting. So f- it doesn't surprise me that here we are reading an article, you know, from Flint. And 300 reports, but we know that more than 300 people saw that craft on March 8th or those crafts on March 8th. They just haven't reported them. 300 people were brave enough to make the reports, but there's probably a good couple thousand that saw something that night. 
So this article went on to say it is right now the hottest case we have in the country, said Walter Andrus, director of the Texas-based International Mutual UFO Network. Lee Lamberts, a sports editor for the Holland Sentinel, saw intense lights flying in a boomerang-shaped formation about the same time as the Graves family. So here's another you know, witness account. The formation of light stayed perfect, Lambert said. It sounded distinctly like one jet, but there were half a dozen lights, up to 10. Some reported the object or objects to be slow moving, but radar tracking showed it to move 10 miles in just 10 seconds. In Flint, Roberts excitedly told his mother, Terry Todd, about the UFO when she returned from the grocery store that evening. She said she believed her son saw something unusual, but didn't start wondering seriously about it until she read a news story about the Muskegon sighting after her son told her about the UFO. He's never been one to make up stories, she said. Whatever he saw, I've never heard of anything like it. I even called my brother to tell him about it, and he said it was probably a stealth bomber that was being moved. Shirley Coyne, the Mutual UFO Network state director, said it was probably no stealth bomber. The Flushing Township resident received at least six reports in the past nine months about a craft fitting the description the boy gave. It is very possible he could have seen this. I don't think he's making up stories, she said. We've had a lot of activity on the east side of the county close to Davison, Lapeer, and even in the Thumb area. People have seen a triangular shaped craft like this. And then what do we know about three days after this article? What happened just south of Flint? Oh, the March 18th. Yeah, the, the Flint sighting. Coyne, a UFO investigator and enthusiast, said she is going to Muskegon next week to meet with the reports from reporters from the news program 48 Hours. She believes the craft the boy saw was probably not the same one that passed over Muskegon. It was a different craft, the one that has been hanging around here. All we know is that it is a UFO, she said. We don't know who it belongs to or anything about it. We know it is silent and does does have lights that beam down. It hovers, it maneuvers, and it moves in erratic patterns, she said. Air traffic controllers at the Bishop Airport Towers spotted nothing unusual on their radar the night of March 10th, said Ted Wazalewski, air traffic controller supervisor. So we've seen meteors before from just looking out of the tower, but I am not aware of anything unusual that evening, he said. Coin isn't dissuaded. The FAA wouldn't tell us if they did see anything, she said. And that's the same thing when Guy Merritt called over to that tower and then he got transferred to somebody he thinks that was in a different government, you know, something else like trying to cover things up. So uh, check out Guy Merritt's interview with us, episode four, and that will blow your mind as well, because I believe, and I think Michelle's becoming a believer now as well, that these things are all connected with Michigan in March and the the whole state during the month of March in 1994 was just going UFO crazy. Well, and that may not have been the start of it. Like I said, the, the puzzle pieces are slowly coming together, but most of the puzzle pieces are happening in March. Um, our situation and our observance of a craft happened in March, you know, obviously many years later in 2018. Mm -hmm. 
But for that many people to see what they saw for law enforcement, residents, for Jack to pick up what he did on radar, you know, you're, you're not fooling scientific equipment with a radar when that many blips in a certain formation can be spotted. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to have a lot to say after the interview. So everybody hold on to your hats because we're going to get ready to jump into this and we're going to tell you a little bit about Jack's background. Well, we're going to tell you a whole lot about Jack's, yes. <laughs> Jack's background. So Michelle, do you want to take this one? Jack Bashong received his degree of meteorology at Florida State University in 1988. He trained for television weathercasting the following year, but was recruited by the National Weather Service, which is a federal agency and part of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. His first NWS office was near his hometown of Muskegon, Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he had extensive training in surface weather observations, weather forecasting, and the issuance of severe weather warnings to the public. Mr. Bashong also received training in pilot weather briefings. In 1991, Mr. Bashong transferred to his hometown at the NWS office in Muskegon. NWS Muskegon was a weather radar site where he received extensive weather radar training in order to be on shift alone. The NWS was undergoing the most ambitious modernization and restructuring program through the early 1990s where the new NWS Doppler radar would become a major part of all NWS offices across the country. In 1994, Mr. Bashong was transferred with promotion to the NWS Southeast River Forecast Center in Atlanta, Georgia. The SERFC has responsibility for all river forecasting and river flooding forecasts across the southeastern U.S. and Puerto Rico. Mr. Bashong worked alongside hydrologists as a meteorologist where he produced rainfall forecasts for river forecasting models. He was also trained in river forecasting and hydrology as well. So this is what Jack did after he left Michigan. One important duty for the SERFC by Mr. Bashong was to calibrate radar precipitation estimates based on ground-based rain gauges. Under his large area of responsibility, Mr. Bashong needed to have an enormous amount of training and knowledge of how weather radars work. Across the southeast U.S., 35 NWS radars are used in a mosaic and calibrated with over 2,000 rain gauges. You cannot be one of these radar operators and have a C in a class. These are top-notch, educated, highly intelligent people that do this work. So remember that when you hear Jack talk about his work with the radars in Muskegon. And his internship. Yep. So Mr. Bashong has a great interest in computer programming and web page development. From the beginning of the Internet age, Mr. Bashong produced the first web page for the SCRFC and remained webmaster until his retirement. Mr. Bashong also used his programming skills to produce graphics from the text products that NWS produced at the time by mapping river conditions and forecasts. Mr. Bashong 
was first webmaster across the NWS to create graphs, hydrographs in real time, depicting river and flood forecasts to make radar forecasts easier to read for customers such as FEMA. In fact, Mr. Pashong received the Regional Director's Award along with a cash bonus for not only a near-perfect rain forecast for Hurricane Floyd in 1999, but also rushed to complete the programming to display hydrographs as requested by FEMA. Hurricane Floyd resulted in the worst flooding in North Carolina history. Yeah, I remember that. That was rough. Yep. NWS headquarters decided to use Mr. Pashong's examples of new web products for their creation of the Advanced Hydrologic Prediction System, the AHPS. Mr. Pashong was also on the NWS team, which brought real-time NWS radar images to the web. After retirement from the NWS in 2016, Mr. Bishong kept his interest in computers and programming. Other interests include photography, drone photography and 3D printing, and plane flight simulator in his spare time. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Mr. Bishong has been a big fan of Microsoft Flight Simulator since 1993, fulfilling his strong interest in aircraft. You don't play Flight Simulator. You are Flight Simulator. (laughs) You fly Flight Simulator. That's that's how you want to do that. All right, everybody. It's that time. We need to get to this. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Mr. Jack Bashong Jr., featured in Something in the Sky, Unsolved Mysteries, Episode 2, Season 3. Jack, thank you for joining us. We're very excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, you, to, to tell you folks, sounds like we have a, a, an awful lot in common. We've been talking for 45 minutes probably <laughs> on everything that we uh, have so much in common and what we're interested in. So thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I really, uh, um, uh, uh, I am amazed at how much um uh, how how interested people are in this uh, because um, you know it seemed like uh, I was very excited in 1994 after it happened and I, I wanted to tell everybody you know um, of course the the National Weather Service had forbidden me to talk to the media at all uh, they said basically they said we're not going to let an intern talk to the media on something like this well. I eventually, uh, when I got to Atlanta, I was asked to uh, to be on uh, a show. wasn't really uh, well known. Um, I think it was on AMC, and uh, my boss at the time didn't even know anything about this. He had no idea. So my new boss uh, didn't know about the UFO bit. I'm glad he didn't. So I told him the reason why I was not allowed to be or why they didn't want me to talk to the media was because I was an intern. And he said, well, you're not an intern now. So, um, 
Uh, and and the, the word intern really doesn't even make sense. It's, and I'll explain that in a, okay. in a second. But yeah, we can uh, dig into so, that. So I was, yeah, so I was finally, uh, so basically my immediate supervisor in Atlanta uh, allowed me to start talking about it. Um, and, uh, but, but still there was, uh, I would say about 50%, I would say it was right half and half is when I talked to friends about the exciting thing that happened, even when I explained that so many people had seen it and they listened to the audio maybe a little bit, but you would get this look like, you know, um, you know, you could tell they just didn't buy it or they didn't want to hear it. They did. They, they or they thought you were weird. Um, but, um, you, you know, you would get that silent look Um they just didn't want to hear it, you know? And yeah. so, uh, uh, and in fact, uh, which is funny is that, uh, I actually had a trip planned for, to go down to Florida to see my mom. And, um, uh, uh, the next week after this event happened, it was already planned. And, uh, so when I went down there, I had a lot to talk about to, to some of my friends and my family down there. And I actually went to my high school, uh, because I was new, uh, in the weather service, well, by about five years, but, um, but I wanted, uh, but because I was down there while school was still in session, I went up and talked to some of my old teachers and one of the high school teachers, uh, it was Northeast high school in Fort Lauderdale um um was a uh, uh he was an earth and science teacher uh just like yourself and uh i so he was so i went up talking to him about that i was a meteorologist he was excited about that but then i went in and started talking about the ufo that i you know and he should have seen the look on his face <laughs> i was like Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so well, let's let's hold off on talking about the the March 8th incident for a minute here, because I picked up on something on the intro to your okay. episode that I want sure. to talk about, because we've had so many guests on here that have seen UFOs and, and talk about their experiences, including myself and Michelle. That's how we got into this in the first place. Really? Okay. This is, uh -huh. yeah, this, it, it really boggled our mind and, and what we saw, but we, we have people on and they always talk about the synchronicities and things that seem to line up afterwards or the yeah. weird things that happen kind of beforehand and in the intro to that episode you talk about um the strange coincidences that would always happen to you and they were so well known that people would say it could only happen to jack yep. so can you share some before we dig into the whole ufo thing and what happened can you share what some of those might those strange things may have been or what happened um well uh yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like, uh, not really like accidents, but I think maybe people thought I was a little clumsy, but in, in some cases, but, you know, like, for instance, uh, you know, just, you know, like, like if I was, well, for instance, uh, uh, I was uh, at a baseball game and uh, uh, what happens is, uh, um, you know, the guy when he when he hit the ball 
uh, he threw his he he hit the ball and then he threw his bat back. And where does it land? It lands right in my face, you know, and <laughs> that's one example. Uh, and then another thing that was crazy was uh, I had just gotten um, uh, down. Now, this is the craziest story of them all. But uh, I had gotten back from uh, college and I went to go see a friend down in Fort Lauderdale. And so I went up to knock on his door and uh, um in Fort Lauderdale, they have those, uh, they don't have mailboxes, um, you know, out at the street, they have them hanging on their, you know, right by their door. And they have a little, uh, they have like a little uh, J hook, uh, two of them for, for a newspaper to be put in there, you know, so it's a, it's a mailbox drop box. Well, anyway, I was hanging on to the, uh, um, to the, to the J hook and I knocked on the door and I was waiting and I, and I hear this like snarling and like what sounded like uh, claws on on this cement patio, uh, the front porch. And I look over and it's this possum that's running right at me. And I'm like, you're, you're just and I'm ha- I have this this uh, I have my hand on the on the uh, uh, mailbox and the thing just was like, what? what on earth I've never had a possum <laughs> coming like running at me. And so, uh, so I was like, yeah, you know, so I jumped up, it was like coming right at me and I don't want to get bit. I, so I, right then I jumped up and then I land down and the door opens up and it's the mother and she sees that I had pulled the mailbox off her wall uh, so it's in my hand and underneath <laughs> my foot was the possum like this. Unsplash. <laughs> so somehow when I landed, I had had my foot on its back, you know, and so she's looking at me with a mailbox in my right hand and the possum underneath my left <laughs> foot. And so. So anyway, so I, she, so she's lethal. It's just like, what in the, uh, and she didn't really know me as well. Uh, uh, you know, it, it was a friend of mine, but she didn't really know me that much. And so, uh, but, but I, honest, you know, that's one of those things like nobody believed that happened to me. And it wasn't <laughs> until uh, I, when I went back to college, this, this guy I knew, and I used to tell him, uh, you know, you wouldn't believe, I would go to him. I say, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. And, and it was the same conversation, uh, same thing. And, um, so anyway, he didn't believe it, but it wasn't until, uh, Facebook came along and I talked to the sister of this brother I knew. And I said, did your mom ever tell you the story about, and I tagged my friend about when, I pulled the mailbox off your, your wall and had a, a possum underneath my foot <laughs> and your mom answered the door and she said, Oh yeah. And so finally, after 30 years, validation, like, I can't believe it. He said, I never thought that, you know? And, and so, yeah. And this actually was, it, it, uh, um, it actually was, uh, uh, started up. If you can imagine, um, you know, I live, uh, you know, both in Fort Lauderdale and in Michigan during 
vacations um, is I had two social circles, one in Michigan, one in Fort Lauderdale, and then, then I had college. And so they all said the same thing. In fact, they still say, you know, this is something like could only happen to Jack. And they say, uh, honestly, you got to write a book because you have the strangest things happen to you. And of course, this UFO thing is, is the kicker of them all. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just strange coincidences. And, and just like the fellow that was talking to me on the airplane uh, that just this, this past uh, last week, and he goes, and he's from Calgary, and he goes, my, my God, I, I, I just sat next to you, and, and I turn on TV the first thing I watch, and there you are. I just, you know, and so <laughs> just weird coincidences, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, this is, uh, you know, yeah, well, the possum story, Jack, <laughs> I'm telling you, you can honestly tell people that you tell that story to, you can't make something like that up. I, I wouldn't think so. And, and because it's, I've never heard of anything like that. Never heard of a possum come chasing after you. I mean, at least when I lifted my foot up, he went scurrying off, but you know, but but I the funny thing is, is I didn't I was probably in such shock. I didn't know the, the mailbox was in my hand. I didn't feel it. I didn't know my foot was on the possum back. I didn't feel it. Um, it wasn't until I saw the mailbox in my hand that I saw the <laughs> the poor possum underneath my foot that it finally clicked. You know, of course, everything happened in such a, a quick amount of time. So. Um, so yeah, you, you just, I was in shock and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and it's like something that you just can't believe yourself. And I think, you know, when it comes to the story with the, uh, UFO, you just can't believe it's happening to you, you know, and it take, and that's why I think when people say, Oh, how, how come you didn't go out and get a camera? Well, you don't, you're traumatized or you're excited or, and you're afraid that you're going to miss it. Uh, you know, if you go, but you don't think about something like that, you know, you're, you're just, you're locked in on this incredible thing that's happening to you that um, it's all you can think about. You can't, you don't think about grabbing a camera. Now I'm thinking would I, as a photographer who had a camera around my neck, my entire life, um, I, you know, maybe I would try to, but I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would grab my camera or even think about it. If, if I actually happened to see a, a UFO, uh, I would like to, I'm, you know, I've had my eye to the sky for, uh, all my life. Uh, and after the UFO incident, I'm just dying to finally actually see one, but I, you know, every time I go to look, you know, and, and I get interested and something maybe you know maybe that's a ufo oh no i'm seeing red and green flashing lights it's an airplane and so um um so uh but but no nothing i could really say that i've seen that uh was uh um that was unexpected now now there was uh that was unidentified now there I might have to backtrack and say there was something that my, and this is unusual too, is that uh, I was with my best friend. I was telling you about that. We've known since kids, uh, since we were babies really. And we were in Saugatuck, Michigan. 
it was a resort town and uh we were uh staying there uh with his parents and uh we were at lake michigan at night and um and we were talking about ufos and so we're about 12 13 i guess and as we were talking about it we both saw what looked like two shooting stars but they did a they 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 looked exactly like a shooting star and they would have acted like a shooting star except they dropped out of the sky did they went down up in a z like and then back down and they were parallel with each other and that's something and we both were like we were just talking about ufos and voila there you go he he actually thinks i'm psychic now or something you know and uh but no it's just a coincidence you know that i happen to be we happen to be talking about it and then there you go uh but um uh so i don't know the only uh, you know it could have been okay i'm trying to maybe explain that it's a possibility it was two uh, little meteoroids me, uh, meteors or a little two little meteors uh pebble size or whatever that were coming in and maybe it hit an inversion layer that made this refract you know this uh refraction you know kind of thing that it hit a layer and may, maybe it looked like it was mirrored up and down but but that's a stretch. I don't know. But it was just really weird that we would see something. You never see a meteor. Uh, you know, you always see it going a straight line. Always, no matter what direction they're going. You never see it changing direction. And so that was the only time that we actually saw something directly over Lake Michigan at Saugatuck. Um, so that I would say that's the only thing that I could not explain really in the sky. Well, and there's the there's the common denominator, Jack, that you just mentioned with Lake Michigan. So, you know, we we got to yep. do this. We got to take you back to March 8th of 94. Yeah. Um, You know, the the uncanny event of over 300 sightings from Grand Haven all the way up to Muskegon. Um, from your point of view. Did it start with the the phone call that came in or did you, I mean, happen to spot anything on the radar prior to that call? No, I, there would be no reason for me to, uh, um, uh, to uh, look at the radar. It was, uh, it was a clear cold night, 20 degrees. If you remember 1994, it was a cold year uh, a lot because uh, Mount Pinatubo uh, erupted. Uh, the year or two before. And so if you remember, that was uh, an extremely cold Michigan winter. Uh, and we had more snow than I could, than I ever seen before. I never saw Lake Michigan freeze over solid. Uh, we would, we would take hikes out on the pier. It was probably not safe to do so, but, uh, but uh, it was just pure ice all the way out. It looked like the Arctic, Arctic ocean, you know, uh, but um but I didn't know that – I thought it was frozen. It was frozen all the way across, at least at the latitude of Muskegon. It wasn't until this this past year, right after uh, Unsolved uh, – right after filming Unsolved Mysteries, that I found out that there was actually open water in the area where I saw that rendezvous point. So from talking to these um, – and I looked it up. I mean, it, it is it is true. This isn't somebody saying – you know, uh, 
you know, oh, I heard there's there was some open water down there in Southern Lake, Michigan. No, I looked up the the, the old maps. I mean, they take uh, good satellite pictures and uh, and they know, you know, the, the Weather Service and the National Climatic Data Center, uh, which is a part of NOAA. They they keep good records about this stuff. And sure enough, they have a, a map that showed exactly where the uh, um uh, where it was uh, ice covered and where there was open water. And sure enough, where I saw the rendezvous point uh, of dozens of these uh, UAPs, UFOs, uh, was right at the northern edge of the, of the uh, um, and that blew my mind too. Um, it really did. And it completely goes along with the uh, first time I ever heard of it was the, um, the uh, upside down uh, waterfall when I yeah. talked to uh, the MUFON uh, person, Virginia, um, her name was Virginia. And uh, so that really, uh, really surprised me. Never heard that story. I also didn't hear now. Now I would expect with the flight pattern going to Chicago here, I would have thought that in that area, for crying out loud, some pilot had to have seen it on approach into Chicago, uh, either if they were taking off in coming out of Chicago or landing into Chicago, they had to be coming, going in or, uh, you know, going across Lake Michigan, uh, maybe a good uh, 40, 50 miles south of where I saw um, the, the, the uh, UFOs. Uh, so I would think that that pilots would be able to see it if, if the UFOs had, you know, all their lights on, like they did, you know, flying well, over in the and episode. Turns out, yeah. Yeah. That there, uh, the, uh, reporter said there was, there was a couple pilots, airline pilots who did admit that they were there. And I've been, I was waiting to hear, you know, did anybody, you know, uh, landing in Chicago, um, or taking off, see anything they, because I thought they should have, they, somebody, should have seen something but it makes total sense in 1994 that pilots would not um um you know uh uh um, they would they would not admit it absolutely not um and i can see why for crying out loud after uh uh what happened to me afterwards for the most part the weather service i felt like you know in the end i felt like they were protecting me which is fine, you know, um, and they also the Weather Service did not want to be known as the UFO reporting center either, uh, but they didn't know what to do. I mean, uh, you know, kind of there was a there was a joke amongst a lot of the managers in Michigan saying, boy, I'm glad I'm not Leo. You know, uh, here he just got to be the new manager there and he's got to deal with this. And so they were kind of laughing about it uh, now. It was the intern trainer who had to say, no, that's not, no, there's nothing. No, he was professional. No, you know, no. Finally, the director of the National Weather Service uh, notified my direct supervisor, said that I would not have any repercussions against my career. He put his foot down and said, Jack has nothing to worry about. Now, you know that's that's good and fine with with uh, what the with what the director said uh, because I was an intern, okay, and 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 I have to explain how that works. 
but uh, um, I had to kind of prove myself, you know, as a new employee. Actually, I was there for five years by that point. Uh, but uh, um, so I got into computers. That's how I got it and still into computers. I build my own computers. Now I, I, I started programming. I learned I went to um, and that was at the uh, um, uh, advice to from my supervisor, who, who was great. Leo, he was a great guy. Uh, he was a naval chief at one point. Um, and uh, so uh, anyway, he uh, said, you know, you ought to go in and, and learn computers. At that one time, we had uh, a 386 machine just came came into the office that he used. We used for email, learned that. Um, and so I learned DOS and then I learned uh, Quick Basic. And so I actually started programming. Uh, to make life easier for a lot of the guys at the weather office. Uh, we used to have to type things out, you know, look at something and retype it when it was already written out. But we had to take summaries and then kind of actually, uh, you know, uh, re-edit them to, uh, you know, um, and so instead of typing the whole thing out. So I made it so that, that the, uh, I made this thing where, you know, a couple programs that made life a lot easier. Do you think that you would have done more than 22 years in meteorology if it had not been for that event in Michigan? Actually, uh, I started in uh, 20, excuse me, in 1989, and uh, I retired in 2016. Okay. Well, you know, I've told our listeners earlier in the show before we brought you on to make sure that they go and watch this episode and and get a little bit more of your background and and see what was going on but i've got to ask you you were in such a unique position as the weather radar station operator at that time on march 8th 1994 can you take us through what happened that night as you saw it as things were going on before you knew anything that was happening outside the, the radar building? Like what transpired from your oh, okay. point of yeah, view? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, well, for, first of all, um, I, I worked my first few years in, um, let's see, from 1989 to 1991, I worked in the Grand Rapids office. Uh, which, you know, is just a few miles from, you know, about 50 miles from Muskegon. Uh, but I asked for a transfer to Muskegon at my own cost uh, because I wanted to be live, uh, you know, near Lake Michigan. There was an opening, but I also because my uh, family lived there and I had a lot of childhood friends there. So um, so my wife and I uh, had just gotten married in, in 1991 and uh, and then we moved to Muskegon. And so immediately. Uh, because it was a radar uh, weather office, not all ra- not all weather offices are radar offices. Grand Rapids was not one, but I did still have to know how the radar worked. Um, and there would be a hotline uh, between us, uh, between Grand Rapids and Muskegon, because we had to rely on what Muskegon was uh, seeing on radar about whether or not we put out a severe thunderstorm warning or something. Uh, but uh, but so. So when when I got immediately when I got to uh, the weather office in Muskegon, um, I was not certified in radar. And it's the first thing I had to be. I could not be working uh, alone on shift until I became radar certified. And 
that is a big, uh, uh, big, a lot of training. Um, and so, so when people say, well, he was inexperienced, I would have to say, okay, wait a minute. Just like, you know, yeah, you have your veteran doctors, for instance, uh, but you also have the new doctors that just came out of college and, and medical uh, school, and they have all that information uh, fresh in their mind. And so, so I would, you know, so when I, so in 1994, when this occurred, I knew a lot about the radar. I had to, uh, I had gone to, uh, uh, there were several things going on. We, we had, uh, I had to be radar certified. So I had to go through this big, thick manual and take a test and become certified. And then uh, we went to, I went to the National Training, National Weather Service Training Center in Kansas City and took a, a three-week course in radar and everything about the radar. And it's not just looking for storms in the radar, it's how the radar works, the frequency, how, you know, uh, you know, everything, everything the all the technical aspects about the radar the science behind radar um and how it works um and uh and so <clears throat> i knew its limitations and i and 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 the and the thing is is not only did i know how the radar worked at that point but you learn what can fool the radar too so i was fresh in in all that stuff you know and so when i heard a meteorologist on, you know, I saw a clip of a meteorologist from one of the stations in Michigan saying, oh, well, what he saw probably was a, was an inversion layer and, uh, you know, and the beam, the, the radar beam, my radar beam uh, is what it looks like. And I'll show that in a second again, uh, probably bounced off an inversion layer and, and came back down and, uh, and picked up some stuff. Well, false, absolutely false. I know what, radar you know what ground clutter looks like uh you get it's called uh another word for it is anomalous propagation and what that means is that the radar beam is pointed up a little bit but then it's bounced off layer comes back down to the ground and i'll tell you uh the signature of of ground clutter looks nothing like what i saw nothing looked like an airplane that's flying through the sky, you know, that you can follow, um, you know, like a dot, uh, um, red ground clutter and people see it all the time. You can see where the radars are. Uh, if you look at the mosaic on the weather channel or something, uh, because they'll have your little area of ground clutter where all the radars are. And, and it looks like, look, could look like, it looks like precipitation actually it doesn't look like, a. uh, a dot and what it, what it looked like at first to me was uh was a uh um uh was a uh an airplane it looked just like an airplane and uh and on those boring nights when i try had to learn how uh how to get you had like riding a bicycle you got to get the feel uh, like or getting a new car you got to get the feel of everything you, you're in the dark you got to know where all your buttons and cranks are and so uh so i actually practiced uh, uh because the radar doesn't just go around and around 
uh, I can put it on auto, uh, manual mode where I can actually raise and lower the radar beam and also go side to side with it. And that's how we would actually look at radar uh, at uh, uh, tops of thunderstorms uh, to see how high they are, because that determines um, whether uh, it'd be a severe thunderstorm or not. And also uh, we can detect uh, hail that way, for instance, and, you know, of course, trying to detect uh, tornadoes. Uh, so um, we had to know an awful lot about uh, the radar and every everything about it. And so and and, you know, I was uh, of the five guys that were working there, uh, rotating shifts. I was yes, I was the newest guy there. But I also had just read through the manual and went through the training class. And then we were also uh, learning the uh, we were also learning about the the new radar, the Doppler radar that was coming online, uh, which came online the very next year, uh, the which is what we're still using today. The WSR 88D, the Do our Doppler. That's when we went to Doppler radar and went to digital instead of analog. Uh, the radar that we have now would not be able to, I would not be able to do what I did before. Okay. Um, you know, so, so you can't, uh, you can't manually control a, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the new radars that we have out there today. Like I could, uh, basically, um, what I did was spot, uh, it would be like I'm locking on to an aircraft, you know, like, uh, uh, for instance, a military folk is, you know, looking for enemy aircraft and he locks his radar onto it. Um, the airplane knows, you know, that you got a radar looking at it. And, uh, uh, some, and if you remember during, this was during the Iraqi, uh, uh, war, um, and you would hear about, you know, with the no-fly zone and all that, you would hear about radars that were locking in on the aircraft, and they would be able to throw a bomb, you know, a missile at that radar site. And let me tell you, I, I worried about <laughs> it, it. It crossed my mind that uh, is my radar console going to blow up in my face <laughs> with sparks and, you know, all sorts of things, you right. know. It, it did cross my mind, you know, I mean, you know, briefly. But uh, so so I just wanted to give a little the background before I, yeah. I go in and start talking about the uh, uh, about what happened that night. But I came in late in the game uh, and I think a lot of a lot of uh, people uh, might have gotten it wrong. Uh, Officer Velthouse had already. Uh, gone to the Graves house and actually was chasing down the street uh, in his in his uh, uh, patrol car uh, going in the direction towards Lake Michigan. When but you didn't had, know any of that, right? I did not know this. No, no. It's just like he, your phone rang and my phone rang and Officer Velthouse was already chasing the lights going towards Lake Michigan. Uh, and so somebody tried to do the math and say, well, from the Graves house in Holland and what, and when Bashong saw the radar or the, the blip in, uh, uh, or radar return, uh, uh, in, in South Haven at 6,000 feet, uh, I wouldn't be able to, uh, officer Velthouse wouldn't be able to see the same thing as I could. Well, 
that's because the timing is off. Bell House was already well to the uh, east, and and they they tried to call the FAA first, didn't get an answer, and then um, and then so they decided to call me, and uh, um, and so I would say probably a good fifteen minutes elapsed, uh, and if you consider maybe Officer Bellhouse was going 60 miles an hour. Um, you know, the, he, he probably, he, he got about 15 miles closer to the, uh, uh, to the, um, to the uh, South Haven than, um, you know, than, than from the Graves house. So uh, they're going to have to re redo the, uh, uh, the math there. Whoever I saw, I think on a YouTube channel, um, when they were explaining that. So officer Velthouse, when I, when I was talking to the dispatcher uh, and the dispatcher was talking to Velthouse at the very same time, officer Velthouse, officer Velthouse was well to the uh, West toward Lake Michigan. Uh, then, um, then what people are, were led to believe. So, uh, so yes, in fact, we could see the same thing. Uh, yes. The curvature of the earth does, limit uh, your ability to see um our radar of course our radar dishes is, is up you know on a uh, 75 foot pole and uh uh which is you know uh about seven stories high and so uh um and so we have um we have the ability to the radar has the ability to see um out uh 250 kilometers now i know in kilometers because that's that's just you know that's how we um i'm not very good at converting it to miles but we had to know everything in kilometers uh and meters and everything so except for uh above ground level yeah let's go figure uh, uh so kilometers distance away but uh thousands of feet up and down uh right. in, in elevation so uh, we still use uh, uh in, in aviation terms we still use uh um uh imperial units um so to, to you know to say that this thunderstorm height is fifty thousand fifty thousand right. feet high um uh, but uh so anyway um uh the uh the one thing about uh, the radar also is the radar beam, and, and I'm going to try to show it, is the radar beam is, is cone-shaped, uh, which is different from an air traffic control radar. An air traffic control radar is more of an oval shape like this, because in one swoop, when it goes all the way around, it wants to get a picture of the entire sky in one swoop. It has to. And so the, so the, uh, the FAA radar uh, to know the altitude of the airplane, they rely on that transponder that's on board the aircraft. And that's what determines what the altitude is. When you have uh, a, a radar beam that's oval shaped, that's able to see from the ground all the way up as high as it can, uh, you're not going to be able to know where, wh what elevation that is. And, and yeah, so and I want to make a point here. Um, yeah. People that are not in the know on how radar works and, and you're showing a cone and I will put a screenshot of that image up on our YouTube video. I'll, I'll put it in there for people to see. Um, but one thing I want to point out is that whenever the media, whether it's the weather channel or 
whoever a weatherman or unsolved mysteries showing a graphic of radar moving it's always looking like a flat 2d arc that's sweeping around they never take into account that that uh z or y axis that it's it's a beam like a flashlight it's three-dimensional that's sending out the wave the radar wave and looking for a signature and a return coming back exactly and and people that are not in the know of that you know and then what happens is they go out there and they try to debunk things when they don't fully understand how these beams and things are actually working so it's very important for people to kind of get that image of the media stuff out of their head that it's a 2d little arc spinning around it's not right it's not it's a three-dimensional thing and and with and we're working in three-dimensional space now um and that's exactly right one thing is that uh um we have a round dish the weather service used a round dish uh so the, the the radar beam would go out in cone and it's cone shaped because the further you go out just like a flashlight the wider it goes so so the the problem is at the further away you get from the radar the less resolution you can see so um at the distance that i could see the uh ufos and i'm going to just say because they're unidentified flying objects is that uh, if they were within uh, the, the radar beam was about a half mile wide at that point at, at the distance uh, 82 kilometers uh, south of uh, Muskegon. Uh, so any aircraft that was within a half mile of each other would show up as just one. Now, when they split apart, that's when I could see him. So I could not see, you know, and, and, and I would say, wow, that looks really big. Well, it's possibly because the, uh, and I, I've got my little things here, uh, is that if, if they're flying in formation, like these little, ah, okay. Let's say they're flying in formation. Um, and, uh, like these little batteries Mm -hmm. and there's three of them. If they're within the beam like that, you know, I'm not going to be able to differentiate it. But if they're like kind of, you know, separated by a little half mile, it's going to look like, you know, it's going to bleed out and look like a big, bigger blip than a normal, just a single rate, you know, single spot, you know, single uh, aircraft. What about if those things? So right now, just to describe people that aren't going to see the visuals on this, he's holding watch mm-hmm. batteries flat against the beam so that they are laying on if you think about it they're kind of laying or being pressed against the beam with the the wide edge on it but what if the what if the object was turned edge on to that radar you would have a totally different signature correct uh yeah you would have less of it if it was flat and i was looking at it flat uh the pow i would still be able to see it but it would be the power of it would be less. But okay. I'll tell you the um, uh, another thing that uh, the, uh, uh, the the thing about with the weather service radar is it's um, it's more focused. Yes. Um, you know, it's got more energy going out in us in a smaller area. It's not like the FAA radar uh, right. that's wide. And so, as you know, just like a flashlight, if it's got a wide beam on it, 
you're, the further away you go, the less powerful it is. But if you have a nice focused uh, flashlight, uh, yes, the beam spreads out cone shaped, but you're going to have a nice powerful uh, radar. And so, you know, so by seeing it, um, you know, uh, any kind of uh, reflection of it is going to come back. And one thing that FAA radars don't have that the Weather Service radars do is we could see the amount of signal coming back. We could see the amount of energy that was went out by the radar, transmitted, and then received because we have to know that because we have to know well, is it light rain or is it heavy rain? Is there hail in there? Is it solid objects? hail or is it uh liquid object you know objects and so but the same goes through with uh aircraft or solid objects and so the solid objects are going to have they're going to just basically take the uh uh intensity graph and just spike it and so you might have heard on the um you might have heard me say on the uh uh um on the uh 911 tape that i said they're spiking Okay, that means that the uh, that the amplitude graph was showing them spiking because the amount of energy coming back in such a small space, uh, you know, compared to like uh, a big thunderstorm, a big heavy thunderstorm, which would be fuzzy and kind of wide. This was what an aircraft would look like. It came back as a spike, and uh, the thing too is. Um, I also had to raise the antenna or the radar cone, the radar dish up a bit. And so, you know, the further, the further up I go with it, the less, you, you know, if you know how refraction works, you know, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going, you're, you're going at a, a deeper angle into the atmosphere. And so you have less of a chance of any kind of refraction where you get a bending. And so, and that's our trick in getting rid of uh, those times when we have uh, an inversion layer is we raise the antenna just a little bit. So usually it was at a half a degree going around and around, but if you're getting nothing but uh, a mess of, of ground clutter, and a lot of times you would actually see uh, the outline of Lake Michigan, it was kind of neat, but I could see the outline of Lake Michigan based on an inversion layer and the the beam coming right back down to the earth. That's what it would look like. But and during, so to, and during yeah. this incident, you knew about how to do those tactics, oh, right? Yeah. To be yeah, able to I, use the radar. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a daily occurrence. You know, right. I mean, you, you, uh, you know, anomalous propagation or, or uh, super refraction of the beam happens all the time. You know, you get inversion layers all the time. And sometimes even when there's rain out there and it's hard to distinguish. And so the trick to get rid of it is to just raise the antenna just a little bit at a higher elevation uh, or a higher angle into the atmosphere. And that would keep the radar beam that that would that would reduce the effects of the refraction. And I would be able to see, uh, be able to um, see not the ground, but actually the precipitation, you know. Right. So uh, we want to be down as close to the ground as possible because that's for the, heavy, you know, you want to see how much rain is falling on the ground, not just the rain that is falling out of the clouds and then evaporating on the way down. So we keep it as a low angle, 0.5 degrees. 
Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, if there was a lot of inversion layers, uh, here and there, and we, and we couldn't, we couldn't figure out if it was rain or anopolis propagation because it, because the, the, the ground clutter would look very similar to, uh, to the rain. All I had to do was raise the antenna and got rid of the, uh, 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 ground clutter and I could see the rain right away. Well, the same goes through true with the uh, the objects that I saw that night. I had to point the antenna at times to follow them. Uh, they were going up to 85,000 feet. Um, now, I think they were. I'm not sure. I know they were at one up to 55,000 feet, but I swear, you know, at a brief moment, they got up to 85,000 feet. And the so thing that- is, that What's brings that? up another question that I had about the capabilities of the radar. Sure. What was the range that with, with good resolution, what is the range you could get with that radar around the station? And then in, like you said, in thousands of feet above ground. Okay. Well, um, I think the highest angle was five degrees. Uh, so 10 times the normal elevation of the radar beam, five degrees doesn't seem like much, but it is. And so, cause the further you go out, you know, it's going up and, and the, the thing is, is you can't see, um, uh, because it's focused because I'm focused like a, um, uh, like a flashlight, um, you know, uh, it, it you know, I only have like a, and the distance of where the UFOs were with the resolution of being a half mile, I had to look around. I had to go back and forth with that radar. And then, you know, I went back and forth then I went up a little bit back and forth, went up a little bit back and forth. And that's how I found them all. And so, so I did grid pattern, you know, to, to, yeah. to go find them. And, uh, and I would wave the radar back from, from say five, you know, and so I, w- I won't confuse you with degrees, but so I'll just say I waved the radar back and forth from five uh, to uh, five p.m. to or five o'clock to uh, to eight o'clock, you know, in that direction. So right. from south southeast to southwest, and uh, so so you you turn a crank back and forth, and then there's another crank to raise it. So I turn the crank back and forth a few times looking for the the little dots and then i would go up a couple degrees or a couple tenths of a degrees go back and forth again and then and then i kept doing that and that's how i was able to kind of go back and forth and go up at the same time and be able to see them okay so, so so that brings me to another misconception that people i think see on uh, stories that have to do with any kind of radar or anything, or maybe if they're driving past an airport and they happen to have a, a radar tower there, they constantly see the radar dish spinning around in a like a consistent RPM kind of a circle, right. and that's in yep. everybody's mind. But yeah. didn't that type of radar you were using allow you to stop that motion and go backwards, like by hand, like you're saying by crank, right? So That's you it. could you yeah. could focus it very close or even bring it to a stop to send that radiation out right. in that cone in one direction constantly. It's not yes. still spinning. It's not. No, I had to okay. uh, in order to see it. Um, basically, when uh, the dispatcher told me. 
can you look for something down in South Haven? And it'd be just like if he said, can you look and see how if this thunderstorm is severe down here in South Haven? You have to stop the radar from spinning around. You know, I can't wait, you know, 30 seconds or four, or I can't remember what it was, uh, maybe 45 seconds to go around. I can't wait that long. I have to take it and crank the crank the radar back and forth uh, using the hand crank. And, uh, and you kind of just wave it so you can illuminate uh, um, the, the, uh, the whatever object you're trying to look at. And so, yes, you could, there's a switch that goes from automatic rotation to stopping it and making it manual. And it stops it dead in its tracks. And, uh, and then I could take the radar uh, cone and uh and the radar beam could go uh, you know i could take it side to side and go up and down with it and so um as i said you know to find these things i would go at one out you know i would i would wave it back the radar beam back and forth at one elevation and or, or one altitude to see if okay were they at you know a thousand feet above ground okay no nothing there okay go up to 3,000 feet, oh, nothing there, 4,000 feet, 5,000 feet, keep going up. Um, and then, you know, finally, it, it took me a few minutes or, well, on the tape, you know, everything was in real time. Yeah. So uh, I finally saw something at 6,000 feet. And uh, so I would I would estimate when when Officer Belthouse, he said he was well on his way towards Lake Michigan uh, by the time. Uh, he was not down as far as South Haven. He was taking the east-west road. He was going west, due west on this road. Uh, but um, <clears throat> but he was actually much closer to where I saw it uh, over South Haven. And um, and uh, so he uh, uh, so definitely what we were seeing and what he was seeing, what I was seeing on radar was the same thing. And it was moving in the way that he described. Uh, he saw it moving in a southwesterly direction at a constant speed at first. And, uh, and that's what, how I saw it. I saw it uh, moving, you know, and I, I even say on the, on the tape, could be a plane. Because uh, I have tracked planes before, uh, you know, just, you know, a lot of times I could actually spot the i could turn off the radar rotation and uh you know go you know aim it at chicago O'Hare, and i could actually pick up airliners from chicago O'Hare that far away i could actually see yeah. airliners and i could track them going up you know to their fifteen thousand feet see them climbing 20 20 you know 25 30,000 feet so i could see you know the and it was neat to be able to see airliners that far away on the radar and so if i could see airliners as far away as chicago you know i can yeah. see you know these things um so, you know that was much closer yeah. um well, I want to jump in here real quick. You're talking about what you saw and I know what they showed on unsolved mysteries, you know, on the radar screen and stuff, but what, what did you see? What did it look like on the screen that you started tracking And what kind of like maneuvering or characteristics did you see it that might've alerted you, you know, what was it doing that might've alerted you that there was something odd going on with what it was you were tracking okay um well uh, uh um we we had to be trained in in uh 
pilot weather briefing. So we had we had some uh, aircraft manuals, and I was already interested in airplanes anyway, so I knew a lot about them. Uh, but uh, um, so, uh, in fact, uh, it was around then when I bought Microsoft Flight Simulator Five, and <laughs> so I started learning. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so anyway. You know, I knew quite a bit about planes, more than the average person. And um, and so um, but, uh, uh, you know, so I would say that the uh, um, uh, at first it was moving in a southwesterly direction towards South Haven. So it was it was still a good, you know, from South Haven. It was still a good um, uh, when I was starting to look for it. It was probably uh, a good. I'll say 15 miles from a north, it'd be northeast of South Haven when I was starting to look for it. And uh, when I finally saw it, uh, I saw it moving, but when I finally calculated its distance away from the Muskegon and the radar, uh, it was over South Haven. Now, the thing is, though, is I saw it moving at first. It was moving like, a, like an airplane would. It had on the amplitude, uh, um, the intensity graph, uh, it spiked. And I said, it's spiking. So it's something pretty solid. Those are my exact words. When it's spiking, it means that it's something pretty solid because it is a hard reflective object. And when you see something that's up at, uh, you know, uh, at, a, uh, at an altitude of 6,000 feet, and you see nothing but a spot with nothing around it. And it's a solid spot with a high spike. And I could go, you know, I could aim at it and I can aim away. And you're going to see that spike go up and down when you're going side to side or up and down with a radar beam. And so, you know, I had that radar beam centered over that object or they might, if they were within a half mile of each other, it, they would be, you know, a couple of objects, um, um, you know, as I said, the resolution was about a half mile. So if there were several in right in formation there, I wouldn't have been able to differentiate. Um, but um, so the thing that that struck me was that uh, a few seconds after I was watching them going maybe 100 miles an hour, uh, which seemed normal to me, it stopped. It started hovering just there, just stopped at about 6,000 feet, just started yes. hovering. And so that's odd that that would happen. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, but, but see, I'm still waving my radar, right? Yeah. Now I was, I was going back and forth to make sure that it constantly kept illuminating and I had to follow its movement by waving the radar back and forth a bit, uh, because I had to pass that that uh, that radar beam back and forth over it, so I could illuminate it on the cathode ray tube that I had used, because it's the cathode ray tube is that thing that you have to, you know, it's 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 I guess it uses phosphorus or something like that 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 you know, kind of a glow in the dark kind of thing. You gotta you gotta um, you gotta brighten up that spot and then it sits there for a while while as it fades away so you have to constantly kind of wave over it uh to to keep uh, being able to see it and you could see it move but then i could see it stop um now uh then it um i was 
I kind of lost it a little bit. I couldn't figure out where it went. It, it was it was hovering at 6,000 feet for a few seconds. And so then I, and I was looking for it. It just kind of just disappeared. And so then I went, uh, so I was looking for it again and, it, it, you know, and I knew it was hovering. So I, instead of going, you know, I was kind of going side to side, but I actually raised my, I started waving the antenna going up and down. And um, that's when I saw three of them. And uh, they were, uh, the thing is, is that, so I'm, I'm, I'm waving back and forth to keep it illuminated, but I'm raising it too at the same time. And the thing is, is I saw them, uh, you know, go boom, boom, boom. And, and, and I said, they're lengthwise. And you hear that on the chart because they were going directly down the beam of the radar. It's as if the three aircraft were, were lined perfectly with my radar beam. They were, you know, the one that was there, you know, and then two others had gone in a line and the, whether it's coincidental or not, I don't know, but they were in perfect line with my radar. Um, you think they were right. aware that you were illuminating them? I, at that point, uh, well, that's when I said, oh my God, what is this? Because yeah, I, I thought this is too coincidental for them to, and I know that, you know, the Iraq war was going on. I knew that aircraft could detect, uh, you know, that, that, that I had locked on. I'm not just some radar going around and around like normal. Right. I spotted it and I was illuminating it with a constant amount of electromagnetic radiation. And so whatever would be in there would know, yeah, this guy is spotting me, you know? And, uh, so, um, so it's like they were, it's almost like, and it took me a long time to think about this, um, uh, because I, you know, I honestly, for a lot, the longest time I thought, okay, it's gotta be like a military aircraft that's doing some kind of radar, doing some kind of tricks with my radar, uh, because it was too coincidental to be in a direct line with my, with my radar. It's just way that the radar being here and then the first uh ufo and then the second and the third so for uh, you know radar three ufos all in a straight line except they were in di at different altitudes but they were at a triangle in altitude in other words when i when i was looking at them they were lined up with the radar but they actually were in a vertical triangle uh on my uh we on the not the the the, that looking down scope, but looking on the side scope right. going up and down, they were actually forming a tri uh, like a vertical triangle, like, you know, say, you know, one up here, uh, you know, up high and then two uh, at the same altitude down below and, you know, being in a, in a vertical triangular formation, which then flipped to being a horizontal uh, triangular formation. So they went from being a vertical, uh, um, and, and that's why, okay, if you hear on the tape, it says they're separated by a certain thousand feet They're yeah. separated by 12,000 feet. That's because they were in that vertical triangular formation. Uh, they weren't separated by miles as far as horizontal on the ground. They were separated by, they were separated vertically. Altitude. You know? Yeah. 
by altitude. And so, and they looked like a triangle on the scope. And it, that was just crazy to me. And then they went, and then when you're saying they went to the horizontal, they, they were at the same, right? Then, yep. Yep. Then I lost them for a second. And all of a sudden I'm seeing three, uh, uh, UFOs generally at the same altitude now, but they were forming a horizontal, uh, at a constant altitude, a horizontal triangle. Yeah. Uh, and so they went, you know, and that's, that, that was so difficult to explain. And I didn't think people would believe that I, I, and in fact, the pilots had always just, you know, they, they were just, uh, you know, doing uh, radar jamming, but I learned, I, I went and studied a lot about radar jamming and no, that's not how they radar jam. They do it. Yeah. With, they do it different ways. And then I had to think, and after talking to some witnesses and hearing what they had to say, I would have to say, no, it's, they're not, it's not an aircraft doing radar jam. You're trying to play tricks with my radar. Yeah. It's w- one of the questions I was going to ask you. I was just getting ready to. Yeah. But yeah. one thing I want to, I want to point out to our listeners is that as a radar operator, and he's talking about concerns, you know, Jack is talking about concerns about, you know, this is wartime and seeing these things on radar moving around and, and wondering if his council is going to explode. We have ordinance in our military right now. We have a missile that's called a harm missile, and that's a, okay. high, spe- a high speed anti-radiation missile. And they'll send fighters into areas protected by SAM radar that those radar stations control anti-air missiles, right? Uh, right? And so they'll fire that missile in front of the fighter and it looks for an active radar beam coming from the ground and it locks in on the actual components of the wow. radar. No kidding. It, okay. Yeah. It can sense the, the components that are generating the radiation. Okay. From even if you shut it down, it now knows. It still knows where it that radar still was. knows where you and and that's how we took out radar sites during I the see. Iraq War. So wow. we didn't get we didn't have to get shot down because mm-hmm. the the radars that took controlled the, radar. the SAM missiles were destroyed. So the right, SAM missiles right. would be blind unless they were like infrared, you know, okay. and tracking on heat. That's why they shot guns up in the air, the anti-aircraft, you know, just throwing flak and you know bullets into the air over Baghdad because that's basically all they could do, and they were just praying to hit something. Mm-hmm. So that you know, as a radar operator during a time of war, even here in the United States, that could be a concern because other militaries have this same kind of technology too. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's something uh, I wanted everybody to kind of understand that, that, that that's a tactic to take out radars is use right, an anti-radiation right. missile. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember uh, the Iraq war was going on and I kept hearing about, you know, uh, the U S taking out another, uh, radar site. So yeah, exactly. Yep. I didn't know how it worked, but, uh, but that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, I mean, it crossed my mind, you know, comically it kind of crossed my mind. I expected sparks and flames coming out of the radar console because I didn't know, well, if these are real UFOs and they're, I'm making them mad, um, 
UFOs, meaning flying saucers, um, uh, uh, if if they're if they were mad at me looking at them, then you know they could easily just oh, yeah. shoot some. You know, even if they just shot back a really high energy pulse, you know, um, you know, just just kind of just kind of overloaded the uh, the EM radiation that I was shooting at it, and just sent back a tremendous amount it could have it could have popped my uh cath you know cathode tube cathode tubes uh right you know of course i use vacuum tubes and i would have like uh you know all sorts of sparks and and things flying and it and it it did cross my mind you know and i did get a little excited about it i didn't want to uh be the one that ruined uh the radar and caused you know, several thousand dollars worth of damage, if not tens of thousands of dollars of damage or more. And so, um, and so it did cross my mind, but, uh, you know, but, but it, it, it took, uh, I guess it took a lot of, uh, years of, um, of hearing about UFO stories from other people, including, people with uh, radar seeing it on radar and stuff for me to think that these guys uh, it's like they were telling me, we know you're looking at us and hello, you know? Um, And I mean, if, if they're, if they got all their lights on and stuff, you know, I mean, I'm sure if they have advanced technology, um, they don't have to have so many lights on, I wouldn't think, and be all colorful and be flying right at treetop level. Uh, you yeah, know, for over 300 people 300 to see them. 300 people to see. They, it's like they wanted to be seen, you know. And whatever it was, obviously intelligent, intelligently controlled, extreme advanced technology, and they wanted to be seen, you know. And uh, But they were, uh, you know... And it took me a while to think, you know, is this their way? And this this goes now this goes to the crop circles. But they uh, if you know the crop circles and I don't know yeah. what to think about that. I have not have studied no that. idea. <laughs> I have no idea about that. But I, I know what you see is geometric shapes. So and that's what it sounds like these things were doing is they were making geometric shapes. Is that a way that how they communicate with each other? Or do they, or were they just trying to communicate with us? Uh, or were they, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's just strange that they would, you know, they were saying that they were coming, going apart, coming together, going apart, coming together and doing that triangle thing where, where one would shoot off. And it was always seemed to be 20, 20. I know, after I saw, you know, when, when I saw it moving at a slow speed, well, 100 mile an hour, and then it started hovering um, and started acting crazy, I really didn't see them moving anymore. They just jumped. They jumped at 20 mile intervals, so around 20, 30 miles. Uh, but, but it would always be like this, uh, this one that I saw over South Haven would move first, and he was the most northernmost point. And then the other two would follow and form that triangle again. And so, and, and like I said, on, on, on sub ministries, it's like, follow the leader, the, the one guy first, they, first it was moving at a Southwesterly direction at a, at a hundred miles an hour hovered. Then, 
that may I would say that main one shot out due west over Lake Michigan. Uh, and then the two that were south of it, uh, you know, f- shot and, and formed the same kind of triangle out over. And they I would say they were about maybe, you know, Lake Michigan is about 80 miles across estimating. So it, first it was like 20 miles across. And then finally, they they got to the middle of Lake Michigan, which would be 40 miles across. So it seemed like they were right on the shoreline. Um, uh, I, I had seen it like kind of in the middle of the county, Allegan County, I think it is, whatever's south of uh, Ottawa County. But um, and then I saw it um, shoot from the shoreline to 20 miles out and then a shot to the, the main one shot out to halfway um, across Lake Michigan. They're right in the middle of Lake Michigan. And then they started moving south, southerly uh, from there. And, uh, and, the, and the other two would follow. And then I would um, naturally, because these objects were getting further away from the radar, um, they were just like seeing an airplane up close or seeing an airplane far away on the radar you know, they looked big on the radar uh, when they were closer at 82 kilometers when I saw them. And then as they got further and further away toward Chicago, they looked smaller and smaller. They didn't have as much strong of a spike on the amplitude uh, graph. Uh, so, you know, and, and that just tells me that they were further away. So so they were definitely, they acted Absolutely. Like, uh, um, I mean, the, the, the signature of them on the radar was exactly what an aircraft or an airline, really an airliner size craft would look like. Uh, it's just that they moved and behaved in weird ways. Um, and so uh, I have no doubt in my mind that they were uh, metallic, highly reflective craft, just like the fuselage and wings of an aircraft and uh but they uh i can't i can't i can't tell you what shape they were i can't really tell you how big except they look similar to what i would say an airliner would look like um but uh um and as they got further away as i said they the signature got less and less so everything told me you know was not tricks of the radar. They wouldn't get smaller and smaller as it got further away. I mean, they were real objects. And I saw them at all all sorts of different altitude. If there was refraction going on in any way, you would not see them moving in the vertical, you know? Um, Well, you wouldn't really see them moving at all. Uh, but, uh, But you wouldn't be able to pick out a point and then be able to follow it, you know? And, uh, and the other thing too, that struck me is that uh, I learned that really, except for a balloon, nothing can uh, hover uh, above about 50,000 feet. You know, helicopters cannot hover. There is not enough air density for something to hover uh, at that height. And of course, balloons can't fly at thousands of miles an hour either. So uh, I would say I'm, I, I would swear I saw one go up to 85,000 feet at one point, but I know they got up this high as 55,000 feet. 
So 85,000 feet is extreme. Um, but, but to get there so fast, it would be, you know, near impossible with the technology that I know about. Hey everyone. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and some friends of the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, this is Ray Shemansky, author of the Alien Shades of Grey's trilogy, and you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, I'm Greg Little, co-author of Origins of the God with England's Andrew Collins. It's a great book. It's about UFOs and the paranormal, and it gives an explanation. It's not what you think. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. of Follow the Reaper podcast, where every episode we examine first and secondhand true paranormal encounters. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast.
Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moon Bear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. This is Terry Lane Keel, director of MUFON memberships, investigator, demonologist, and author of Alien Healing, the true story of a benevolent extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hello everyone, this is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Seth Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? This is Big Willie with the UFO Garage podcast, where we're all about UFOs, aliens, and all things weird. I also run a podcast, Band of Bearded Brothers, with my brother Micah, B-O-B-B for short. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. So take a seat and buckle up as they educate us on all things woo. Well, Jack... Well, let me ask you a question because we know that there's the 911 tapes from the March 8th incident. Do you know if there is the the radar data that has been requested? Was it recorded um, or was it just spur of the moment data that you were collecting and only, you know, your eyes saw what was going on? Well, I wish I had a camera. I really wish I had a camera with me. And of course, uh, I, you know, as I was talking about getting a picture of it, you don't think about cameras, um, you know, when you're in, when you're, uh, so, you know, so focused on something like that. But, um, but there was one thing is, is we had this, um, uh, 
there was uh, there was a company called Pan Am Weather Systems, and they actually took our uh, radar feed from uh, all the radar National Weather Service radars across the country. There were hundreds of them, maybe yeah, hundreds of them. And uh, and what they did is they mosaic all the radars together, and that's how you get your national map of radars. I mean, that's how it works. You take all these hundreds of radars and you mosaic the pictures together. And they still do that today with, that's how you can see the United States and all the, the radar uh, data. Um, and sometimes you can actually pick out where the radar that is, because you see the little ground clutter circles, um, you know, where they are. But, uh, um, and so, uh, so this Pan Am Weather Systems was doing that. They were uh, contracted, or had a contract, I guess, somehow that um, that they took all the radars and mosaic them together. And um, when I we had a monitor for this out, we had our radar room, which is was in the back room and it had to be dark in there, had the red light it was dark in there. And uh, but out in the main operations area that we had a monitor, it was a color monitor and they were color coded. And not the black and white uh, six level grays that we would see on the radar. It was it was color coded, um, but uh, but I remember seeing uh, that's how I remember seeing that there were dozens of them over Southern Lake Michigan was because I was seeing that on Pan Am Weather Systems uh, on their monitor, and that's when I said on the tape I can actually and I was on the phone looking at it. I say I actually see it on the computer part of it and what i mean is there's a computer monitor because we had this piece of equipment in there that was you know uh, i mean um in there to uh to give us that national radar and of course you know you saw that on the weather channel cnn and all those at the, at the cable channels at the same time they they were they were the ones that were the customers of these national radars so um so yeah uh they had recordings of this um but i was told that because i took the radar off automatic mode uh pan Am weather systems automatically uh eliminates that radar um you know from uh from the mosaic now thing is is i saw it on that radar you know there was a good bit of time i mean i had other duties to do i had to go on weather radar i had my I had my weather radio where I had to put the weather on. I had my observations I had to do. Uh, and so I, uh, I told them, you know, and of course it was, it was, uh, you know, heard on the 911 tape. Yay. Uh, we may actually have a recording of this. Well, their excuse was, uh, well, you took it off uh, the automatic mode and put it on manual. So therefore it wasn't visible. No, it's not. I saw it on the, I saw it on. The- so there was, and now it's missing, but archive footage of what that radar was picking up that night. Yeah. If Pan Am weather system, I would imagine they, they were, uh, you know, record, of course they, they're doing radar loops, you know, right. they do it for like the last 24 hour, 24, 48 hours. Uh, so, um, so sure, you know, um, when there were dozens of them down. Do you think people would be able to request that? Like maybe a FOIA request or something like that? 
I I don't know because it was actually a private company that no longer exists. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, it, to me, it just seemed like they didn't want to bother with it. You know, yep. they just didn't want to deal with it. Um, and it would have been neat to have. It would have it would have, uh, um, you know, it would have shown exactly what I saw. But um, I think I I. I don't think there was any kind of a cover up maliciously. Uh, I think it's just they just didn't want to bother with it. And they probably didn't know how to handle it. They, they didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. yeah. And well, and it was 94. It was 1994. And so and I think, you know, and I, I really I know why the Weather Service didn't want me to talk to and they, they were trying to protect me. You know, it was my my career was young. Yeah. And, uh, and it makes sense that from the higher ups, they they didn't want me to talk to the media because uh, it, it really could have destroyed my career more more than, you know, it, it you know, it could have been pretty bad, you know. So I, I the weather the weather service, I think, made a good decision in that way. The problem is, though, is that they um, they made it seem like a um, government conspiracy. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they, they should have really uh, and, and they even uh, Leo mentioned said we really should have had a press conference right after this and just come out and say so, say what happened. But we're not um, going to, uh, you know, uh, say who the radar operator is. Uh, I don't like that they tried to. Um, you know, just say, well, he's just an intern. I wasn't actually just an intern. I was actually considered a graduate intern. We were undergoing modernization at the time. And so uh, there was a backlog of, uh, of, of all these interns, thousands of them across the country waiting to get to their new offices that were being built across the country in yeah. 1994. And so, uh, um, so, a lot of us were just kind of stuck there. I, you know, I had five years experience. I was a degreed meteorologist, which um, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that I worked with were highly respected uh, veterans of Vietnam war, most of them. And uh, so they knew their stuff and I listened to them and they, they were very good. And uh, so, but, um, but I was a meteorologist and was in college and uh, got a degree in this. And so, um, but I also took the radar course and it was fresh in my mind, three ra radar courses, actually. Uh, and it was all fresh in my mind when, when, I, um, when I was looking at this. And plus, I knew the capabilities of the radar. I already had been playing around with it and spotting uh, airliners over Chicago, you know. So yeah. um, I knew what the radar could do and what it looked like and what it looked like over Chicago. Those airliners looked exactly what it looked like when I was looking at these things that were, you know, except for their movements, you know. Um, well, and here's the thing, whether or not the Weather Service was trying to sweep things under the rug and keep things quiet at the time, there were still over 300 reports. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, eyes to the sky that night that saw this it was just your scientific tool that was backing up saying what they were seeing was not an you know some figure of their imagination right, right. People, right. The, people were reporting it and 
your radar was backing up the location of where these people were seeing it. That's right. right. That's, you know, corroborating evidence. Yes. And the other thing I would like to add to it is, and I asked Holly Graves uh, to, as I said, were these lights um, that you saw, would you say they were like plasma and just glowing lights uh, or would you say there was solid craft underneath it? And she said solid craft underneath it. And, and, but the radar would be able to detect whether it was solid or not. I mean, uh, I don't know if, if it was just a plasma ball, like a big uh, thing of ground of ball lightning, which it wouldn't, we wouldn't, there was no, no meteorological sense for there be to be ball lightning at that, that day. Um, but, uh, but I don't think the radar would be able to see ball lightning, you know? Um, so, um, it, 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 as I said, it looked like a big flying tin can, you know, it was polished metal, you know, uh, it was reflective and it, re it returned nearly all the energy that it, that I illuminated it with. I mean, I, I mean, it pegged it up to a hundred percent, you know, it didn't just go up part way up. It went all the way up you know, to, uh, um, and as I said, it was spiking. And so, you know, the, the, the graph was, you know, down low and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And yep. one little point, you know, well, um, you know, one of the things I, I got to say about that episode, it was captivating. I mean, it was amazing. It was well done. Um, it really brought a light to my attention about 1994 on the West side of the state but we've had people on here talking about March, you know, 94 on the east side of the state, seeing very large triangles and reporting abductions and things like that. So I was. Oh, wow. I didn't know I, that. Yeah. Oh. I was kind of shocked that Bill from um, uh, MUFON wasn't talking about what was going on on the east side of the state as well. But I will say this. I got very upset the first time I watched that episode to the point where I was ready to throw my remote through the TV with the way that not only and at first, you know, I wasn't thinking about, well, how would the National Weather Service handle something like this? But yes. the way that the co your coworkers and stuff were kind of ripping on you a little bit about, you know, the, the radar. And, and they man. did it and they didn't do it maliciously. They were, they were joking about it. It well, was that, all a joke. You know, that was one of the reasons why Michelle and I started talking to people and we started this podcast because we saw something in 2018, March 9th, 2018, right here at 275 and Ford road. It was a giant wow. silent hovering black triangle about 150 feet off the ground and 300 feet on a side with these three orbs that were in each angle of the triangle that were emitting such bright light but they weren't illuminating anything underneath it which bright light and then it, it didn't it, reflect that's weird wow. that's ex yep that's okay. exactly what it was yeah and as we got close to it like you said the 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 thought doesn't go through your mind to grab your cell phone camera. I mean, right. Michelle looks at it and goes, when did our military get something like that? I said, that's uh -huh. not any kind of military craft. She rolls down the window 
as we're getting really close to it to get on the expressway, we almost had to go underneath it. We got that close to it. She's like, it's not making a sound. I'm looking at it as we're merging on the expressway. And it looks like a heat mirage for a body. It was like wavering. It looked like heat coming off of a, off of a blacktop road. And it, it's just, yeah, yeah. Okay. this was okay. March. It was ice cold. It well, was, and yeah, we've yeah. already found like a, a string of correlations with the month of March yeah. in Michigan. Um, a, a lot of times near bodies of water um, or if there's any sort of nuclear power, because we're not far from Fermi. Right. Okay. Um, so because we we've heard a lot of stories come through even around like Lake Erie. Um, But one of the things I want to go back to when um, Wayne, I think you said something about, you know, how they were not reporting sightings on the east side. Right. Um, It was reported there are 82 counties um, in Michigan, in the state of Michigan. And it was either 40 or 42 counties in March of 94 had reported sightings. So Mm -hmm. that would cover not only the west side of the state but what they were noticing around yeah the east side um about around mid michigan around the flint area um because there were reportings from that area as well yeah and so my earlier point was when we started talking to people about this in in our own sighting and we didn't want to come out and talk about it we started kind of a private facebook group app asking people did you guys see anything on this night, you know, about two thirty in the morning at this location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. We're our Facebook group now in three years, four years is now almost seven thousand yeah, people. We've got sending, oh my goodness. Sending yeah. us wow. stuff okay. and reports. Yeah. And we had people that also came on there and exactly said that they saw the same thing but miles away you know, moving okay. west and then it would just disappear and then it would show up toward Grand Rapids and then it was gone. Yeah. We've been trying to find people in the Canton, Michigan area Yeah, that uh-huh. saw, saw saw the same thing that we saw that night, but, but the stigma, no you know, yet. and that was oh, one yeah, of the things yeah, we were like, we want people to come on and, and yeah. go to a Facebook group and then come on our show or send us their stories and feel safe to get that off of their chest and let them know, Hey, I'm a a bachelor of science. I I graduated top of my class in earth and space science. Okay. Uh Astronomy. I do geology. I know how the earth works, orbits, planets, Uh all of that stuff. Michelle has got a master's degree and been teaching for 23 years, you know, in ELA and stuff. And we had this happen to us. We didn't ask for it. Amazing. Right. And, and the response has been incredible and people coming forward. And and we have a story that we're going to read on the show. Um, when we publish this, that is a woman that's like, thank you for allowing me to come on here and tell you what happened, what I saw. Now, when was this that happened to you? This was March 9th, uh, 2018. And three people we interviewed had Uh the triangle incident. We had them all on the same show one time. And it was March uh, 9th, 1994. That this thing was just south of Flint, Michigan by Bishop Airport. A giant triangle 
hovering over uh, U.S. 23. And so these the day reports, after they were, uh, oh, okay, they were in West Michigan. Or was Michigan. it March 18th, 94? Yeah, March 9th. Eighteenth ninety four. Okay. It, yeah. yeah. My uh, all the mar all the mar states start blending together. Yeah. yeah. It was right. eight, yeah, like yeah. eight or nine days after okay. the March eight event. It was mm-hmm. like you know ten days later or something like that. Right. That these things right. were showing up. Yeah. And and there's even reports of women uh waking up in their vehicle. Like one woman was sleeping, the other one was driving to work. The woman wakes up because she fell asleep in the in the vehicle on the way to work and the the uh, the vehicle spinning around in circles and they're up in the air and they're oh my being, god yeah they're being put in this it's on a mufon report okay and then the next thing she knows they're back on uh southbound or northbound US 23 but they're going in the south direction they had to cut across the expressway to get back onto southbound us 23 or they were going to be in head-on accidents i see they they lost that time i mean just like things that are just wacky and then the experiences that started happening with people so that's kind of why we started doing what we were doing we were like you know what let's let's get down to this we'll we'll do our own investigations and we'll talk to people and give them a forum to talk and that's what upset me because in 94 there was still that stigma and things going on oh yeah in in this ufo but imagine what happened to people who saw things from the 40s and were reporting them like project blue book and then in 90 or in uh 1966 we had blue book here for the swamp gas thing 120 co-eds at hillsdale saw uh ufos flying around police were chasing them in their cars there was uh aircraft sent out from selfridge to intercept these things and people saw all this happen we got testimony from one of the pilots before he passed away so kind of like on his deathbed saying that he was dispatched to chase these things and what they saw were these metal disc type things flying across the ground and it was swamp gas and everything went quiet and they've just been squashing stuff left and right. And that was Heineck that came out until uh, you're right. I, I, there's a, there's a television show. I don't know if it's coming back or not, but I did watch, I didn't know. uh, I mean, I knew the project blue book, but I didn't know about uh, the professor that, that was coming out. And, uh, but there is something on, on one of the cable channels that uh, kind of, goes along with well, the, he flipped. Uh, he, he came he out flipped. yeah he flipped his son is now big in the well he had passed away but okay. he flipped his position and now there's the Heineck research facility for ufos or whatever like a oh, little so, institute okay. that he started and his son is kind of running it now and you might if you go to any of these ufo um conferences which i'm i'm putting a million dollars on that you're going to get all kinds of invites to go speak you'll probably run into heineck's son and oh uh, really okay yeah Yeah. and he came out in his book and said that his job was to dismiss these things yeah period end of discussion that's why they brought him on as well well then i I, then i was hearing about uh that that they that the military was trying to uh 
put out the because they were testing aircraft, so they wanted uh, their experimental uh, aircraft to be thought of as UFOs. You know, yeah. the, the, their cover story, but it's a good cover uh, story. So but yeah, not to yeah, the detriment is. of but people. People, right? And and now now you know, and the reason why I'm talking more uh, uh, candidly about it. Um, I mean, I was always, it's just that I didn't, I didn't mention things. I mean, I was always, you know, I, I would discuss the tape and what was really going on during that, but there were things that I just didn't want to say because I didn't think people, it, because it was too far out. It's yep. just like that, that little story about the, uh, the, the, my, my little interaction with the possum. That's just something that never happens, you know? And so, uh, um, and so I didn't think people would believe me. And I think my, I, I, I really worried about my credibility on that. And, and, you know, as a, as a scientist yourself, you know, credibility means a lot, you know, and uh, because once you lose it, then, you know, people don't know how to trust you in science, you know, anymore. And so, but I think this is, I, I, I think this is a there is a real science to this, and I and it's just we haven't discovered yet. Uh, I, I just remember reading a a newspaper article from the the early 1900s that where scientists actually said that heavier than air flight was impossible; would yeah, never right. do it. <laughs> so um, you know, so yeah, they need to. Uh, Scientists become believers when they finally see it for themselves. And, yep. uh, um, and so I did. And, uh, so yeah, I, uh, and, and it took, believe me, I didn't go just from saying, uh, these were, you know, uh, not believing in UFOs or aliens from other planets, uh, to all of a sudden, you know, they're UFOs and they're aliens. I, it took me 30 years to try to think about it, and it, it to the point where, uh, as you said, I literally gave myself headaches, right? Trying to figure it out, trying to absorb information I was hearing from other people, and then when I started hearing kind of similar things to what I saw on radar, and I hear other radar operators from the military saying that they moved the same exact way um, in the last couple of years. You know, when the Navy came out uh, talking about it. I knew, okay, you know, I'm not the only one, you know, and so it finally allowed me to come out and say, you know, kind of like say, I told you so. And also, finally, the US government is trying to do something about it. And they're not ridiculing people. Now, I hope that pilots uh, and I live in an area, I'm close to the Atlanta airport. So I live in an area where there's a lot of pilots in my area and uh so i I wish i could talk to some of them and ask you know have you seen anything in the skies um and uh but i don't know if they would to be honest um not yet you know um i don't know how you could spend all those hours in the in in the air and and not see something that you can't explain but um uh, you know and i you know i i don't know um I've looked, I've looked myself, you know, constantly, and I've never seen anything except for that day uh, when I was with my friend in Lake Michigan. We both saw it at the same time. Uh, but um, but uh, 
I know, I know they exist. Uh, I remember talk, actually, I, I, when, when I had to do an interview, uh, back in the early two thousands, um, I went and talked to, uh, a, um, a teacher where my wife taught, it was a biologist actually. And I talked to him about, I said, you know, I said, these things were, they were playing around, like, you know, like they were playing, you know, uh, doing all these crazy movements and maneuvers and stuff like that. And he joked around, he said, uh, he said, adolescent uh, aliens, you know, <laughs> just teenage uh, aliens that are playing around, you know, it's, that was his joke, uh, but he did take it seriously. And he, he, it made him wonder himself. He wanted to talk to me. So, um, but honestly, I don't know uh, the way they acted. I, I just couldn't, uh, um, I, you know, they just seemed like they wanted to be seen, you know, um, and it seemed like they were showing off too. And it brings me yep. back to a story where um, <clears throat> there was uh, some, I think there was a school that uh, a school ground of kids where uh, actually saw a UFO. Uh, the Zimbabwe children. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like the, the aerial they, school. That's the yeah, aerial yeah. school Zimbabwe. Right, right. Yeah. And it sounded like they were showing off a little bit, you know, and then there was uh, the uh, the fellow who videotaped it where he was shining a uh uh like a um different colored led lights at some at some ufo and they were matching it the same colors uh, i heard that story so it they're communicating whatever they are they're communicating you know and uh so you know sometimes i hear stories about that they're friendly and other times i hear they're nightmares so i i don't know you know, I don't know what's going on, you know, to be honest. Uh, well, and it, it depends it, on who you talk to. And as far yeah. as the different classifications, when they do talk about aliens, whether it's the reptilians or whether it's the grays. Yeah, sometimes right. it gets a little yeah. out there. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it does. Um, I mean, but here's the thing. Did we see some, you know, was something seen in the sky that couldn't be identified? Yes. Was it flying? Yes. Was it an object? Yes. Th thank you. It was a UFO. Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. <laughs> unidentified flying object. Exactly. Now we have to call it unidentified aerial phenomena. We, we, I refuse, we, but... can still, <laughs> yeah. we have talked to folks that they simply say that that is a government term. So we uh -huh. can say UFO and, <laughs> and like my kids say, keep it old school. So well, I consider aerial phenomena as some kind of weather thing that uh, yeah. we yeah. can't figure out. Uh, when, but when you see a craft that's flying through the sky, um, it's a flying object. It, yes, exactly. Right. Now, in since your you know retirement and this investigation into everything um, that was seen in in Michigan when you were talking to Virginia Tilly, um, yeah. Was there anyone else that you spoke to at that time that you found new information about, um, including maybe even that couple that was camping? 
Well, that's the most interesting. And I want to talk to Virginia Tilly more about it. Uh, she has, she has, I, believe me, I'm, I'm, well, I've been busy because of other, like my truck is out, out of commission right now. I'm trying to get that thing fixed. Uh, I mean, just, just to show you life is still going on, but I'm also <laughs> uh, uh, busy like crazy. And I went down to see my parents last week. I actually watched the uh, show for, um, on that Tuesday. Wednesday, Tuesday, no, Tuesday, Tuesday night with my mom and dad. They're still alive in their 90s and uh, they're divorced, but, uh, um, you know, they they get along very well because the, all their friends, they've outlived all their friends. Um, so anyway, um, uh, so my stepmother, my sister and I and uh, mom and dad, we all watched together. And and uh, and so um, um you know, so I'm hearing nothing but good things. I think Unsolved Mysteries did an excellent job uh, was with uh, yeah, getting I it, uh, getting it together. They 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 did very well. I'm very proud of their work um, because you know uh, it, it. This is such a complex thing to talk about. As you you know, I'm talking to you right now, and and one big long conversation. And, you know, yeah, I tend to repeat myself. I tend to, um, you know, uh, go off in tangents. Yes, I do. But, uh, but Unsolved Mysteries, they, they took all that, you know, hours and hours of me talking and made it to where I looked good. I was actually not as good as they, uh, you know, communicator as, as people said I was on there because they really knew how to to splice it up to where yeah. I, uh, where I well, sounded. And I, I do want to say, this is why people like to listen to podcasts though, is because they do see something like that, but there's a lot of people that, I mean, Joe Rogan has proved it millions of dollars over that people like the long form conversations and, okay. and, yeah. and listening that, you know, we kind right, of right. love listening to people talk. I mean, we're educators, so we're talking mm. all day, but we're also oh, listeners, sure. you know, right, we have to right. listen to the students and listen for things. And, you know, people, people are, you know, we got to give more credit to people that want to listen to these long form conversations oh yeah they get a lot out of them and, and they they enjoy I hope them. so yeah, yeah I, I hope so um you know but yeah i i think um and i like to be able to talk exactly uh, more in technical terms because as i said i i really need to get out a that paper that's purely scientific observations no i'm not going to talk about aliens in this first draft yeah. i'm going to talk yep. about this is the radar this is how it works this is what I saw. This is what it isn't. And, and I'm going to go through the ground clutter bit that I heard a meteor TV meteorologist say that's what it was. Uh, I'm going to go through the swamp gas and how the radar doesn't detect swamp gas or even any kind of gas at all. Gas does not reflect anything. You know, right. uh, there are some, radars that can if they're tuned correctly at, at a certain interval of course but um but ours are detected they're tuned to detect liquid and solid objects that's it they can see birds they can see planes they can see hail and they can see rain water you know 
and they can see round uh, ground if 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 the but it ground clutter does not look like a spot you know right uh, uh it might if there was a 20-story building that was near the radar site yeah it could look like that but you also don't see the building flying around it 72,000 miles an hour either you know and well, going up to 80,000 feet <laughs> and you don't see these these objects on a radar playing cat and mouse with the radar as it is picking up their signal either right right yeah yeah and that that weird snapping uh, it looked to me like a rubber band snapping like the one yes. the one would move and then uh-huh. the other one would like snap you know yep. like they were locked into position but yes moving at different times yes very strange and and so that's why i want to go and talk to some of these people because i want to hear you know um you know i know what i saw on the radar how it acted but and i know people were saying it was going coming apart and coming back together and sure i could see that now if they came back together sure you know those two would disappear and i'd only see one but uh, because of the resolution of the rare, but um, from the point on after it passed through Holland and started going out over Lake Michigan, it seemed like they always just kept that triangle with the follow leader with the snapping uh, motion, like you say, and it was just like that. Why? I have no idea uh, what they were doing, but, uh, but, but to me, it seemed like they were trying to communicate yeah well it when i saw the movement it almost reminded me of like uh uh, like if you're doing some kind of graphic stuff on the computer like a graphics program and you Mm -hmm. have the snap to grid on kind of thing and your mouse will shoot over to the closest right right? you know it looked kind of like that i was like wow that's really bizarre it it is it is it's and that's why it's it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to humans, does it? You know, right, I exactly. Mean, you know, and so uh, you you know they're intelligent. Follow the leader. You know, uh, they they uh, you know I you know what it reminded me of was insects. I remember watching. Uh, I don't know. So, you know, I was watching a bunch of ants. You know, and I I was watching them doing little, you know, back and forth things and circles and stuff like that, and. Uh, and I was like thinking, you know, well, ants make their movements and that's how they communicate and uh, or other bugs, too. That's how they communicate is through their movements. And uh, so, you know, it just made me wonder. That's what made me wonder is are they communicating with us or are they communicating with each other? Is that what they're doing, you know, or are they yeah. just showing off uh, or was it uh, uh radar jamming from military and of course i uh i had to i had to get proof from people's uh witnesses um testimony that what i saw on radar is exactly what people were seeing on the ground and then then i knew it was not false echoes uh they were not playing tricks with my radar where they were located was exactly where these people were seeing um and so um it uh and then also when you know when they were out over the middle of lake michigan and and i saw dozens of them i don't know where they came from um now i uh somebody seemed to have told i heard some story where they they there were some 
there were some other reports down in Indiana or Illinois where they saw uh, UFOs down there moving northward kind of towards where they were kind of meeting in that Lake Michigan vicinity. Um, and uh, but the thing is, is that I saw um, all these dozens of UFOs that I saw um, were uh, separated both in space in horizontal and vertical space, but they were hovering. Uh, except for a few, every once I would actually see most of them hovering, but I would see a few moving really slowly amongst themselves, you know? And so almost all of them were hovering, but I would see maybe two or three of them kind of moving a little bit, you know, amongst themselves in between all the different uh, returns. Um, and so, it was pretty neat to watch, but it, it honestly looked like a swarm of ants. It looked like a swarm of ants uh, um, that found a big, you know, chunk of the uh, sugar cube or something like that. You know, uh, wasn't that over the the area where the ice was? Ice was present. It was the yes. It was at the most northern edge of open water. Yeah, when I, I couldn't believe it when I saw the. Uh, the, when I finally saw the map from Noah showing uh, the where the ice was during that day, uh, March eighth, nineteen ninety four, um, and you can see it by radar. Basically, I think they not, not radar. I'm sorry, satellite. Um, they uh, uh, it, it was it lined up perfectly with where I remember seeing them. The lat same latitude as I know they were in the middle of Lake Michigan. Uh, right smack dab in the middle of Lake, Lake Michigan, but they were at the same latitude that was just south of that ice line, you know. Um, and I believe they consider lack of ice less than 20% ice coverage, you know. So, um, uh, so yeah, that, that was uh, another interesting coincidence. And it goes along with what I never even heard of is, is this upside down uh, waterfall that just uh, I had to have uh, um, I had to have Virginia Tilly uh, actually repeat herself because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And it sounds like that couple, uh, they were so frightened by it that they left all their stuff out there, all their, you know, that that cold weather gear is expensive, you know, uh, expensive warm weather sleeping bags and, 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 and all that stuff. Um, so, and they left it there. They never came back to get it. They were so frightened. And that's what Virginia told me. I would love to hear and talk to these people. Cause yes. I, I, you know, I really, you know, now, now the thing is, is right now, the thing is, is of course the radar would not be able to see uh, because uh, I mean, of course, I could see the, the objects that were thousands of feet above the ground, which there were several of them. But if they were really close to the uh, Lake, Lake Michigan, you know, down towards ground level, um, uh, the radar would not be able to pick it up due to the curvature of the earth. So, um, you know, uh, so. Uh, yes, the world is round, by the way. <laughs> it's a globe. <laughs> Radar proves it. Radar proves it, yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, I, uh, yeah, so so 
there were obviously a much many more that were closer to the ground uh, or closer to the water level, uh, lake level there um, that I couldn't see, you know. So, but I had it, you know, I had it set at half a degree uh, as normal. And that's when I was able to see uh, those uh, uh, showing up on the Pan Am Weather Systems Monitor. Now, I, I gotta, I'd like to calculate uh, what altitude that was. I can't remember, honestly. It wasn't, uh, most of the, uh, my notes went from, because I, I took the tapes and listened to it dozens and hundreds of times and took notes of what I was seeing. And that's how, why I can remember everything, uh, why it's so ingrained because, uh, because thank goodness for that, that, that tape, uh, you know, so, um, you know, it's kind of like having a photo album, you know, yep. you can remember when you look at a photo album and you, you look at it from, you know, year to year, you can go back and, Hey, I remember that day. And I remember what happened that day and stuff like that. Well, the same memory goes when you have a recording of your conversation. Um, um, and I, I don't think I would really remember a fraction of, of what was going on without that tape. So I'm glad it was recorded and thank goodness it was. Otherwise uh, I don't think anybody would really believe me. I thought something but, uh, was mentioned with the, the calibration as far as where it was, where the campers were and where the, the waterfall was seen was around 5,000 feet. Uh, what, okay. Yeah, that's what I remember. It was either five or six thousand. Yeah, yeah, it was five okay. or six thousand, yeah. which would put that a, about what a mile. A yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I so, would have to see. I would have to see it that well. Um, I I know that when they were over South Haven, I was able to see them at six thousand feet. Okay. So, uh, you know, they, if they were over the middle of Lake Michigan and they're the same latitude as South Haven, which I think they were, um, then, uh, you know, then, yeah, it would make sense that they were, they could still, I could still see them at five or 6,000 feet. Yes. Yeah. It was, a, from what I remember, and I've watched the episode multiple times now, um, <laughs> is that uh, I remember hearing that and just thinking, Okay, this is a mile high waterfall. Yeah, yeah, I I think that I would leave the beach area. But wasn't too. the water wasn't the water going up? Yes, the water was going up. Yeah, that's, it was that's what Virginia said. Yeah, it was being drawn up out of the open waters of Lake Michigan. So, I mean, we could go down all kinds of crazy rabbit holes with that one as far sure. as theories with the fresh right. water being around Michigan and what would the purpose of drawing water out of Lake Michigan be at that time? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think it's a coolant. I think they it, use it as some type of a, a coolant, coolant to, for, for sure. sure. Their propulsion systems and it's, it's clean, fresh water and, and yep. high abundance. And I think, you know, if they are, I'm not going to say they're aliens, but there's some type of advanced craft or some type of advanced propulsion system, obviously, mm -hmm. You saw them moving around on radar. Yeah. You know, in any kind of advanced, well, any kind of propulsion system of some type is going to have to generate heat somehow, some type of energy. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 So, right. I mean, from a science standpoint, 
you know, you got to convert one thing to energy to get things to move or do whatever it's going to do. Well, nuclear and, power plants have to yeah. have water. They have to be, the rods have to be in water. Right. Constant circulation or you get a meltdown. So, yeah, that would yep. make sense. Uh, the water would have to be, and it'd be pretty cold water, that's for sure, uh, yeah. near freezing. Um uh, in fact, uh, I build, you know, as I said, I build my own computers and I have a liquid. Um, uh, I actually made my own water cooling a thing, water you know, cooler, loops. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, well, you know, yeah, one thing, it's, it's a good cooling, cooling agent. Yeah. One thing I'm going to send to you via Facebook is on our Facebook group, uh, a mutual friend of our uh, our podcast and a friend, uh, Guy Merritt, who was the our very first honestly our very first guest that talked about his triangle situation in 94 on March um, 18th of 1994 and he put up a video of in Australia all of these people reported a UFO I don't know what the date was but there was some type of object flying over a lake that was shooting three beams down into the water and the beams were penetrating the water, not illuminating the water. It was going down inside the water and then drawing water up. They could hear the rushing water going up into this thing and then it would stop. And then some type of liquid was being ejected from it. And then it takes off and I'm going to send you that video. It's like a minute and a half report. Yes. I'd like to see that. Sure. Yeah. It's from an Australian news site. And uh, right. it, it was a while ago. I want to say it looks like the 80s time frame, okay. maybe 90s. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, just the 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 columns of water that they were talking about being pulled up out of this lake, just fascinating. And then there's this, yeah. you know, he happens to remember this after we talk and watch the episode of, you know, and it, it, the water column is so damn interesting and it, you just get yeah. a little blurb of it at the end and i'm sure probably because they couldn't find witnesses right you know? if 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 i had heard that i would have tried <laughs> to see it on radar but yeah. i have a feeling that it was uh too even though i might be able to see it six thousand feet i don't know what it would have looked like on radar because you were talking about liquid right and a solid craft uh, but, uh, it probably would have looked like a line, you know, all the way yeah. down to the ground, I would say. Uh, but, um, uh, but, the, but I have, I'm going to have to calculate and see how low, um, I, I would have been able to see, um, at the distance I saw, um, you know, there, it comes to a point where you're, you're, you know, you're with, when I had to have the radar set at a half a degree, you know, and that's when I saw them, um, you know, there is a, there is an estimate of, of the altitude that, that I would have seen them at. So, um, you know, and, and I was, I was getting close there when I was seeing them in the middle of Lake Michigan, I was getting close to where I had to finish up my work. And as I said, I had to do my, uh, my, my forecasts and, and, uh, yeah. weather radio and weather observations and all that stuff. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I couldn't, I could, as much as I wanted to stare at him and, and look at him all, all night, I, I couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I, but they were there for hours, you know, I, they, every time I went to the radar, I could, I could find them and see them, you know? Um, 
it's, and then they it, you say you say in in the episode on Netflix that they eventually faded like faded away. Yeah, they just left one the by area. Right. Yeah. One. Yeah. It, there were like a ton of them. You know, when they finally when they first got to the middle of Lake Michigan, it seemed like there was more and more. Uh, they kept getting more and more, and then they just slowly dropped away. Uh, you know, little by little, there was fewer and fewer, uh, as I was watching them as time went on. Yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly, that was, that was some, you know, we've been at it. I don't know how long I think, uh, the zoom has just stopped calculating like how many hours we've (laughs) been talking now. It just just gave up. So I think we should probably, uh, start to wrap up the conversation and I just want to turn it over to you, uh, before we end, uh, the recording here and any last words you want to put out there, maybe where people can find you, if you got a YouTube channel, uh, some type of website, I mean, let's, uh, get involved. Um, Well, Sure. I, uh, um, mainly people can, I'm pretty big user of Facebook. And so if you write me a message on Facebook, uh, at this point, I will get it. Now I'm, I'm, I'm getting dozens, maybe a hundred messages. So I will get the, you know, I will get to you, I promise, but I'm overwhelmed right now. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are telling me stories. I'm getting questions. And sometimes it's just say, hey, Jack, you did a great job. Thank you. Um, And so I very much appreciate the feedback. I haven't gotten, I've only gotten one bad thing (laughs) from somebody on Twitter. But uh, there's uh, the problem. It's from Twitter. Right. Right. (laughs) It's from Twitter. And I highly doubt that person even looked at the episode. So and she probably doesn't know anything about what, you know, what I who I am, what I saw and and anything. Um, But uh, so I I ignore those things. Uh, But anyway, um, but yeah, my plan is to uh, go ahead and form a Facebook group initially and uh, and then that way, you know, we can we can all kind of discuss uh, yes. that March 1994 uh, episode, because I would love to uh, hear from them. And even if I could, I go to Michigan a lot. I have family and friends up there still. So uh, just to have people draw what they saw and the movements and stuff like that, that could that could tell me a lot. Um but, and I know uh, you're pretty much you know. focused on that March 8th event, but I oh, would yeah, like, I would like to help you, you want to hear and, more. Sure. And be a part of, you know, that investigation as well. Uh-huh. But I also want to try to tie this into this March connection that we have here in, right, in the right. whole state. And I think we could, you know, get some really yeah. great evidence um, and look at these things together, but that's something we can talk about. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, later yeah I, right. I, I, I have no doubt. Yeah. There, there, we have lakes, we have the lakes all across, uh, yep. surrounding Michigan, Lake Michigan. I mean, uh, Michigan. And, you know, I, I honestly would not be surprised if there's some UFO base down underneath, uh, Lake Michigan, you know, Lake Michigan is very deep, you know, and uh, man, superior is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, uh, um, you know, 
you never know what's down there uh and under the oceans either um yeah you know, exactly or i've heard you know uh other people think that they're uh you know on the other side of the on the far side of the moon um I think it was Buzz Aldrin who said he swear he saw a campfire down on the far side of the moon. <laughs> at, you know, it was nighttime yeah. on that side. Well, but, here's um, the thing. There's a reason why the creativity of H.G. Wells when he did War of the Worlds. Yeah, it makes yeah, you wonder. Oh, yeah. It, it, it really, does. really does. If there was it something does. at that time right. that they knew that we don't. Right. Or well, they were inspired, yeah, right? Yeah. They could it, have been inspired sure, by a sighting sure. and. Well, I, I, and, and I, you know, it seems like, you know, doing my own uh, research, it seems like a lot of the sightings started occurring right after World War II. Uh, and of course, we blew up our first atomic bombs. Yeah. And that, that could have frightened, you know, uh, I mean, if, if, let's say the, our galaxy is full of life, but that's, able to travel i'm sure it would have frightened uh um you know concerned a lot of uh, uh any species that all of a sudden we have the capability of just completely destroying all life on the planet um and so there's that theory of course that uh makes a lot of sense and 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 i i kind of wonder about this and I, I was actually what since there's a pretty bad war going on with russia and ukraine uh, I do occasionally uh, Google uh, Ukraine UFO and mm -hmm. occasionally they do see stuff and not, you know, not just because there might be some pretty gee whiz military aircraft out there, but because I think uh, if we are being visited and I think we are now, uh, I, I think they would be interested in that war. And in fact, there was something I saw today. If you look at CBN, um uh, uh there's a youtube video where uh ukrainian said that uh um this flying saucer type thing used like a death ray thing and absolutely took out a column of tanks russian tanks uh that video came out within the last 24 hours and this is on cbn uh the christian broadcast network so um mm -hmm. So, you know, he said flying saucer and UFO, um, CBN thinks it's divine intervention, but, uh, but there is, go ahead and take a look at that YouTube video if sure. you can find it. I, I do have it. Uh, if you can't find it, I, I, I can find it in my history and I can, I can send it to you, but, but I, I, you know, uh, but sure, you know, I, I could imagine if we're like, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to believe in panspermia for instance and that sure. life is around and uh um i think that uh um you know i'm sure we've been observed for uh for uh, like like the <laughs> i believe time. in the zoo the zoo uh hypothesis i guess um and so um so i would imagine they are concerned with our uh extreme violence you know um so, um, you know, I've heard too many stories about military folks coming into contact with these things. There was, a, I guess, a battle where <laughs> where I think they were shooting at the that the UFO or the flying saucer. And it made some, uh, um, you know, some crazy movements and then started shooting back at them. 
but uh, but and then the, the other thing, too, is that really gets me is that that war of the UFOs back in the in Europe in the 1500s. Uh, they oh, have yeah. that uh, that that is crazy. They have, yep. you know, they have a drawing of it uh, and they have smoke over in this one place like something crashed. Uh, you know, and then strange figures to show these like X's or plus signs because uh, they didn't know how to draw them. But uh, that is just nuts, you know. So it's like, why were UFOs, you know, they're not something from humans uh, back then, but why were they uh, uh, fighting each other? Uh, what's yeah. going on, you know, what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things out there that seem to point us all back to these. We have some kind of visitors or watchers, or if you want to go back through the Bible, you know, Ezekiel's wheel and it yeah, goes, yeah. how are things being interpreted? And then, uh-huh. you know, at the time and technology of the day, what are, you know, what are people going to report and say things look like? I mean, you know. Uh, it's, it's a rabbit hole that you can go down, but there's so much fascinating stuff. And Michelle and I are are new to this, digging into this and like, there's so much, there's so much, and you know, there, there's the theories out there too, of like, these things are here right now, whatever they are, there's some type of a different being, but they live outside of either our perception or our uh-huh. slash reality, since we see such a small part of the, the light spectrum, right. you know, we, we only see a very sliver and we got to use instruments yep. to see into infrared and yep. obviously radar and things. Right. Right. And, you know, every once in a while, it seems like these things get picked up or they get noticed or something, you know, they have to turn off or come into our, visible light range to i don't know get fresh be water seen. or sure, or sure. to be seen right to yeah. to be like hey here we are yeah check out this column yeah, of water right. you know well, <laughs> well some it. yeah well some uh i read no i didn't read it i uh there was a youtube channel where they said that these people that have night goggles are seeing craft uh fly at night that you couldn't otherwise, and they're taking video of it, that they, that you couldn't otherwise see it, you know, with the naked eye. Uh, that's interesting. It makes me want to go out now and get some night goggles. Uh, <laughs> I was know. just going to say night vision <laughs> now, goggles and right, let's go yeah, camping out right, at Lake yeah, Michigan. Right, exactly. And some right, real powerful. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And some real powerful <laughs> binoculars too, you know, right, powerful. Yeah. Well, my mom, my wife's going to say, she's going to, I swear, Joy, I, 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 this is the last thing I need. And then, then I'm through, you know, <laughs> no. I'm not buying she, anything she, she else. Made, she made, yeah. That's the last thing I need to buy. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That's good grief. The technology is just going so fast and, yep. you know, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, uh, it's very interesting. And I'm so happy the Navy came out and started. Yes you know now uh, one and thing as that army, i'm gonna say this as an army guy i'm just yeah i'm glad that the air force is being quiet and hiding off in the corner because they really screwed things up when they first oh, back came the out with the well yeah. project blue book and what they right. did oh, with yeah. people. so yeah. let's let's see if yeah, the navy yeah. can handle it <laughs> you know and that probably the air great, force is right? going not yeah. again not right. again guys we'll, we'll give yeah. it to the navy guys yeah, they'll have fun with that 
that's yeah that that's great and but you know what the funny thing is though is uh, i noticed that uh, i got an unusual number of hits of course on linkedin which I, and i had to pay 99 dollars. i get a free month and then and then they start charging me 99 dollars a month but they tell me who has been seeing my account and uh after the episode yeah you're right uh department of navy uh no administrator and a lot of marine biologists yeah you know you know know. why i think here's my idea here's my crazy theory why i think the navy's really involved in this because Uh it might be uap ufos it could be chinese drones or whatever but they're seeing something under the water with their new sonars and stuff yep yep there's 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 usos that are coming and going in and out of that water moving at high rates of speed under their ships and and they don't know what to do with that and right that that would explain you know the the navy's involvement i think that's what's going on yeah well well well, the the uh, i think it was noah that actually did come out I believe it was today or yesterday that they said they, you know, somebody reported he's a retired NOAA folk who said, uh, or no, I think actually he's still working. Um, but uh, he said he was uh, in a submarine and he saw these like, but they call them like fast movers or something. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. You know? And then I keep hearing, I remember, hearing about this the russian story where you know where the russian divers in that big lake uh that they have out there um uh that they tried to actually capture one but they were uh they were uh uh, sent back up to the surface so fast that some of them died from the bends you know Um, that soviet site yeah right so uh um but I, I don't know if I believe that they were sent up so fast or if really they something scared the crap out of them so right. bad that they, they that they swam they to the, the surfaces. <laughs> yeah, that they, they try to get up as fast as they could. But yeah, out of seven divers, I think half of them died. So it must wow. have been something terrifying and humongous uh, to be down there. But they said they saw big beings with suits on and a big, you know, like glass dome over their head. Um, and, and then, but, and then Noah, uh, this Noah guy, or maybe a few of them said that they saw some kind of humanoid figures under the sea. And this was just in the news just recently. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And as our technology improves, we're going to learn more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, sure. are. So it's a great time for science. I mean, we're going sure into is, territories yeah. to try to figure out new ways to, you know, examine and investigate these things. Yeah. And yeah, right now we got the technology, but I don't know if we necessarily have the people with the right mindset to come up with. How are we going to test these I, hypotheses? I, I, exactly. Uh, I just recently read um, that, uh, of course, I'm doing, a, I'm trying to read more and more about this see what's going on um uh in the news lately um uh, i'm just saying i'm 
was I was more interested in seeing how the reaction to the program was, and I'm just so happy and relieved that it was positive. But uh, but you know, I picked up other UFO stories, and uh, one of which was the uh, um, uh, the one where um, uh, NASA is actually going to be. Uh, getting a they're going to develop a ufo study group yep um of scientists and seriously look to see if we're being visited so i hope nasa would be uh, i mean i i know there's a lot of stories about nasa covering things but um but i i would like to you know uh, i would like to see nasa actually um you know, come out with something, you know, I think, I think they need to, they need to think of this backwards instead of looking out and then coming here to earth. We need to start what's here, right? Let's start here on earth and then go from earth outward. Exactly. Because you're looking at such a huge amount of space out in the universe and trying to find a microscopic needle oh, yeah, in a yeah. haystack where we got right. all of these people reporting these objects. Let's start there. Right. Then exactly. we can find out what's going on because maybe these things are not visiting from somewhere else and they just have the technology to hide from us, go in deep uh-huh. oceans, deep lakes, leave the planet, go to the moon, go to other planets for resources that they need and then come back here and down down underground, sure. down in their water base, whatever. Right. And you know, sometimes we interact with them and sometimes we don't, but I think yep. we should start here first. And, and, you know, if NASA wants to do that, I, I think NASA and NOAA and the Navy should get together and, and yep. yeah, you know, put the brain trust together and be like, okay. And be we, open about it too. And be open. Yes. Because yeah. people have gone crazy with their sightings. Right. And what they've seen and then how they've been treated. People yeah. have literally been put in mental asylums and given drugs and, you know, oh, you're delusional, da, 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 da. You know, you're schizophrenic. No, no. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I don't buy that unless, right, you know, right. you got a real, you know, if you've really investigated it, but, you know that's kind of my stance on it right now. Anyways, Uh, uh, we're following the same wavelengths here. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm glad somebody else is thinking the same lines as I am now. Um, it sure made a believer out of me now, you know, uh, um, so many people are so interested in this. So sure. I would love to, uh, to continue investigating this. So, but, yeah. uh, but thank you so much. I'd love to meet you. Uh, so I'll let you know um, when, uh, um, you know, when I come up to Michigan and I do a lot. So, yeah, by the way, Jack, and I know that you're inundated with friend friend requests. I did send you one. Please do not <laughs> okay. put me into the acquaintance group. <laughs> OK, I, I will uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll find you in the there's probably 200 of them right now, but I'll I'll, yeah. I'll find you guys now that I met you and 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 I know you and know what you're all about. Just um, look for look for the hyphenated I'll, I'll name as Wayne would okay. tell people. OK, all right. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it right away. Well, I'll tell you what, Jack, you know, I thought this would be a great interview and conversation. And um, when we were able to get this set up and I'm glad I wasn't wrong, this is 
probably oh, been I'm one of the the so. best nights to have an interview and yeah and talk with you and so many things in common and uh yeah just just amazing stuff and what happened to basically both of our experiences where you yeah. actually able to have a yeah i got to hear tool. more about what you saw i'd be yeah, very interested for sure yeah yeah, yeah, hearing more about that. That's just I, I don't think I've ever really met anybody that um actually experienced something like that, you know. So why? Why a triangle? Right. Yeah. And and why Michigan? Why is Michigan they see I've noticed that Michigan seems to be seeing the similar type UFOs. Yes. Have you noticed that too? Yes. Have you, yeah, okay. Yeah. So something's either, going on in the lakes there. Yeah, or, it's yeah, either definitely. it seems like it's orbs, triangles, uh-huh. or some type of a saucer, like what was being reported in '94 right, right. Yeah. on the west side of the state. They, it seems to be that seems to be the main thing that we're hearing. So yeah, and you're right. We need to start like uh, doing some uh, detecting underneath the yeah. uh, the lakes, you know, yes. and, and looking for stuff, you know. All right. Well, Jack, you know what? We should probably let you go. And I know you're a night owl, but we're up in about six hours for school. So crap. Oh, that's right. You are. Yeah. So we want to thank you once again. And uh, anytime you want to come back on and talk about anything you've discovered or when you get that paper written, if you want to come out and talk about it, that would be amazing. Yeah. And that's when I really want to get out there and go to some ufo conference and say this is because then i finally have people that can read and see the the radar and how it works and can't be like having doubts about uh me not understanding how the radar worked and and other uh, you know so yeah you know uh, basically it's going to be a scientific paper where i say what a wasn't you know yeah yeah and so what's left you know and once again i do want to reiterate that you know in 1994 the national weather service was not equipped or had any kind of protocols or anything to deal with something like this so don't hold it you know people out there don't hold this against them don't hold it against you know the middle manager leo and even his, you know, the boss's boss kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. They they had no idea how to deal with this. No, and they didn't. Yeah. So yeah. I I know, I know, I know. I uh Yeah. I just want to put that out there. I had a very good career with the National Weather Service. The weather service was good. They, you know, uh to me with during the UFO, uh had a wonderful career. Um and so uh, just pretty much say they didn't want to be the um, UFO reporting center and they really yep. didn't know how to handle this, yeah. something like this. Yeah. And, and they were protecting me. You know, I could see it now. I was mad yeah. then, but I could see they were trying to just protect me in my career. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. It was fun. Like I had a great time. Thank you. It's nice meeting you. Yeah, it was nice meeting you. And everybody, we will be right back.
Well, I guess we've officially became the escalator that goes down the rabbit hole because <laughs> that was a long interview and just full of information. Very slowly. So, but what a great conversation and just still so many open endings to, you know, talking to other people from the same occurrence on March 8th and 94. Yeah. And here's the thing. And I put my speculation as to what I think these things are doing with the water, why it's kind of March. You know, it's very cold. Most of the lake is frozen. They want that cold, fresh water for whatever their power plants are for cooling or whatever. Maybe they're breaking apart the oxygen and hydrogen to use for fuel, but it has to be cold, clean, fresh water. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Again, the conspiracy theories that can come out of this. Well, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a Well, I mean, a, we know that it's fresh water, but as far as why that that it's mile speculation. that mile tall waterfall with yes. the water being drawn drawn up into it. But this was a deep dive, and no pun intended, but what a deep dive into the inner workings of what happened on March 8th, 1994. And as you heard Jack and I talking, we're going to try to get together and kind of start correlating the one side of the state at different days and years to this event. And if you really start to think about this, the craft that were being reported in Michigan throughout March in 1966, if you look at those descriptions and the drawings that the police officers did in the Ann Arbor News, they look very similar and they sound very similar in their behavior. And I think all of these things are absolutely related and it's to do with the lakes and it has to do with their power plants. And that's well, that's where I'm at. I think I think we need to connect all the dots here. Well, and I now, think we're close. After retiring, he's got that time to dig into the observations and the witness accounts of '94 that he's he's been waiting to. Well, you know, like he said, he found his new calling, and uh, I can't agree more. We need a scientific-minded person with a background in aviation, with a background in radars, in weather, these aerial phenomenon that happen, or I should say weather phenomenon that happen, he's one of the perfect guys to put on this kind of a mission. And I'll tell you, when he was talking about who's been going to his LinkedIn page, the U.S. Department of Navy, uh, oceanographers, NOAA, you know, so something's brewing and something's going on. Now, for one last thing I wanted to say is I know there's been rumblings and things now that the government's starting to backpedal on the TikTok and the GoFast and the gimbal videos that those Navy pilots were saying, you know, they couldn't see them unless they were on infrared. Now they're saying those were drones of some kind. And they didn't want people to know that we knew they were drones and all of this stuff. So now we're going to have two camps. We're going to have one camp saying that the Navy and uh, the intelligence programs are going to be, co they're covering it up, that they are UFOs, but they're just going to say they're drones, kind of like weather balloon kind of a situation, right? 
Or you're going to have the other camp that's like, see, I told you they were drones. This has all been a big hoax from the beginning. I don't know what to believe with any of that stuff or what to think. But with this situation here at home in Michigan, totally different, totally different radar, eyewitness accounts, police officers, and two anonymous pilots that came forward to Michael Walsh when he was writing that article about this. And they said they saw the long cylindrical object flying in front of them. And then it broke off to the right and disappeared. It moved so fast. We did not have any kind of craft in 1994 that could pull that off. We were just really getting into the stealth technology. Well, there's going to be a lot more said next Saturday on StreamYard. Absolutely. Make sure you join us for our live stream where we're going to discuss this with a panel of people that I'm not going to release just yet, but it will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel. Come check us out and join in in the discussion. It's an awesome place to have a interactive discussion with fans of the show and uh, anybody else that wants to join along. And who knows, we might have a couple celebrities joining us. I'm just saying. You never know. All right, everybody. With that little teaser, this has been a long one. This was a deep dive. I hope to have more of these. We hope to have Mr. Bashong back on soon. Talk about more things as he gets out there and talks and begins his investigations and the work that hopefully we can collaborate on together. But with that being said, everybody, have a good night. Have a great night, everyone. And remember, especially in March, keep those eyes to that sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.